0: This is going to be another episode of Summoning Insight. No guest for this one. It's just me and Monty. So, oh, well, I guess since I'm irrelevant and he never knew anything about League of Legends, this will only get fifty 000 to 60,000 views on a show that's been around for nine years. You know something, Monty? I'm even going to start this episode with a little mini rant. There's two things that have been really rewarding about some of the interviews I've done recently. One, and I'm not going to call out a certain former host I had who constantly berated me that this isn't how teams work. There's no such thing as shot callers. Teams are five players all making equally good calls. And then it just so happens that every team with N-rated in is a genius team on the map. It just so happens that every team with Mythian understands Korean League of Legends the way the Westerners do it. It just so happens that every team with Afromu, the ADC gets really good, and then he shot calls. No, no, none of them are shot callers. <laughs> right? Spoiler, watch my content soon and you will see... I was right on them all. But Monty was right too, and here's why. Because do you know what? There are two scenarios that are mental. Because I get keep getting told, I was told at the time by bozos like Reginald, who literally to this day think League of Legends is fight at Dragon into a 5v5. That's what they think League of Legends has always been. Meanwhile, by the way, they had Bjergsen, a player who probably could have been one of the best split-push players ever if he'd been actually unleashed in Europe. So already, I know these guys were like, Monty knows nothing. He is just looking at Koreans. Right, Two things. One, Monty literally wrote an article explaining wave management concepts in spring 2013. There are teams playing now in LEC and LCS who don't know what wave management is. There are top players who don't know what a wave is. Then also, there was that whole thing where you'll just have to wait and see, but do you remember that whole thing about how Link wrote that 17-page document? Like, all Monty did was make a comp. Like, just press R. No, no, it was just press R, and we take all the towers while they take Baron, and we win the game. And also, (laughs) literally, you're going to find out soon... Monty is the reason why the best leader CLG ever had even became a leader and he credits it all to Monty. Then there's the last detail. I, just released, I didn't know that. <laughs> you no, know, you know, I just do say who. I just released a Sven Reflections interview in which I ask that question. Are you ready? You're gonna like this, Monty? I say that story. Do you remember when Monty says he secretly coached you guys in SK gaming? This is gonna blow your mind, fans. Svenskeren himself admits he was just a young, stupid kid and he didn't know what Monty was talking about or really who Monty was. And that Monty came up to him. At the, listen, at the boot camp for season four Worlds and explained to him there's a concept called vertical jungling that if you do, you can just win the game. But all the players, including Svenskeren, were like, I don't really know what the fuck he's talking about. So they ignored it. That is the strategy that Samsung White won Worlds with and revolutionized <laughs> League of Legends for the next three years. And Monty knew it already and was trying, literally just giving p- pearls to these sows, but they were too busy oinking and eating shit from the trough to even listen to. So the idea of Monty knows nothing. You know nothing. You're telling on yourself there.
1: You're telling on yourself. I d- I didn't expect an impassioned defense with a Thank bunch of evidence. <laughs> I have to say, uh, that, yeah. You know, it, it's interesting actually going back to that time because the reason why I knew this was because of that CLG boot camp where I had watched a bunch of right. scrims of because we scrimmed Samsung White and Samsung Blue, and I was you know so we had we had like. You know, we would record those scrims and not only were we seeing this in champions and masters that year, but because we actually had a lot of scrim games, it was very interesting to be able to experiment against them and have them experimenting against us and see how they were beating uh, CLG, a team that I knew very well. Right. So I learned a lot, actually, from that, that I ended up uh, you know, discussing a little bit at that SK boot camp.
0: I just thought you deserve your flowers every now and then, mate. Everyone does. Just, you're never you. going to get it from the shitheads already. Remember,
1: when I when I yeah. went to Overwatch, I just forgot everything I ever knew Apparently. about League of Legends. Yeah. I, it just, I, the men in black like flashed me, and it just deleted it from my brain. And by the way, that thing where I just
0: knew who all the shot callers and all the geniuses and all the tactical minds are, it's almost like on camera I talk to these people and get info, and sometimes I just don't turn the camera on. Crazy, I know. Crazy concept, I know wild in it imagine that
1: people just lack object permanence though and if you're not on their screen no, you can't no, be doing anything else at any other point in time
0: they don't know that's a massive sign of immaturity that no one else could ever know what what except anything that you don't know in fact you aren't even aware that there's things that you don't know because you don't know them that's a, that's actually one of the massive it's the worst tautology of an idiot you can ever find so right anyway obviously here's the thing monty it's a hot day it's actually really hot day over here, just because, remember, we don't have air conditioning. All I will say, you know that stupid thing going around online, like, lol, Europeans haven't figured out air conditioning. No, it's just hot like this for, like, three weeks of the year, you're cretin. Why would we install a device that costs hundreds of you and then run fucking electricity through it? Think about it. You just fucking open the window and you live with it, don't you? Like, so the, what I'll say is this. There's a detail <laughs> a lot of people won't know. It's based as fuck. But you can go look. Medically provable and experience will tell you as much. You know when people say, just drink water? No, that's not even how your body works with water. Your your body is an electrical device on some level. That's how the cells communicate. That's how the nerves work, etc. And basically, the electrical aspect, if you don't know, like crystals and these concepts are literally how like watches work, for example. The piezoelectricities are like a massive phenomenon in the world. So what happens is your body doesn't just run on water. It runs on the balance between water and salts and electrolytes. So that's why if you only drink loads of tap water, you can actually dehydrate yourself if people don't know that. Sometimes if you're gassed and you're playing a sport, and you just drink loads of fresh water, you'll actually feel like you feel sick in your stomach. You might feel bloated. So I have to say, people are going to think this is a troll. I am actually drinking a liquid IV now because I've just done like a two-hour League of Legends show. I was out in the sun. And if I just drink three hours worth of water like that, it actually, it'll, it, I go past the point where it's helping me. It starts just to wreck me, actually. At that point in time, like all you're doing is piss like a rare you're sauce. You're actually feeling dehydrated from that. Like what? The more I drink, because if you don't know, because of the balance, you're actually giving out minerals out of your body at that point point in time. It's to do with like osmosis and how much can go through the cell barrier and all that shit. So that's one of the reasons why I actually, during these shows, you might say I often do actually drink a liquid IV because in between, if you have to talk a lot, you drink loads of water. So I find actually it balances me out well.
1: Yeah. And especially if you're outside a lot in the summer, whether you're working outside, going to the pool, going to these summer festivals and concerts, or if you're dehydrated from being hungover, guys, a lot of people swear by liquid IV in that regard as well. So it comes in 12 flavors. And as you guys know, uh, it's great. I've been using it in my own workouts. Take it to my I'm gym. It dehydrates three
0: times faster than water.
1: It does. Yep. And it has, uh, has a bunch of vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C, three times the electrolytes of leading sports drinks. You can get it in bulk nationwide in the US at Costco or, and here's the key guys, and this is a great way to support us. The best way to support us is by, if you want something from one of our sponsors, it's the best way to support us. 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code LFN at checkout. 20% 20% off anything on their site. They've got caffeinated versions, the Energy Multiplier. That's what I use for working out. Okay. They have a new kombucha. They've got tons of different products, guys. So it's been really great having them as a sponsor. Now is a great time to go pick it up if you haven't already.
0: Code LFN, obviously.
1: Yep, Code LFN, 20% off.
0: This is where, though, I'm different from Monty. Monty was, like, very egalitarian with that. I don't actually care if you buy it anywhere without the code. Like, I saw people put messages like, I couldn't actually get it shipped to where I am, but I bought some from a shop. It's like, that's just not me. <laughs> <laughs> well, like no you didn't put a code spoiler that didn't help me so it's all well and good but if you're in america just use the fucking code on the checkout and then you help us and you get 20 percent off and you get the product we all win don't winning. We? we all win yep.
1: all right, what we about. good stuff. what's <laughs> happening uh so do you want to talk about uh the start of the lcs uh, we do have to put the the capstone on our uh LCS player walkout project which took three episodes with three different guests because now, Thorin, we've seen the aftermath which is collapsing viewership of the LCS.
0: viewership. If people don't know, I think LEC just had like 250 or something like that. Some 200K is what they're at. Like, I actually bet if I go and look, I haven't looked, but I'm going to guess, like, LFL's probably has the same as fucking LCS now, Monty. has to, surely. You know what I mean? Like, this is so bad. This is why I made that point. They couldn't have picked the worst time to do this. They picked a time when their stock was at the lowest possible, and then they fucking threatened the league like this. And also, by the way, it's bad enough that fans didn't watch Academy and they wanted it around. How are we going to justify the salaries in LCS if it's 40K viewership? We can't. It's over if that's the case. It's actually over.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's really quite. Future
0: is the for forty k viewership. That can't happen, man.
1: Yeah, it's really it's really quite quite bad. Um, so, and I think a lot of it was at least on the the initial day that people didn't know that LCS was going on because of the walkout. It started on a Wednesday, which I, I to guess the
0: walkout is- then. Yeah. Thanks for not making it the original start of the season where we we're all waiting. Cheers guys. You did that.
1: <laughs> so they didn't know when the walkout was going to end. A lot of people uh, responded to me on Twitter saying that they were surprised to see that, that LCS was on part of that is just messaging from the league though. And, the the lol esports website, as we know, has been terrible for a long time and is basically useless in a lot of ways when it comes to understanding the matches or watching VODs on them. But LCS out of three leagues, so CB LoL, LEC, and LCS, had the lowest or had the biggest drop in viewership, and the average viewers dropped by forty seven percent compared to the first week of the spring season. Summer is typically lower, guys. So. It's better to compare summer to summer than summer to spring, but this is from ES charts and their news article. And peak viewers decreased by 40%. Um, so CB LOL also saw a drop by 27%. And uh, we saw LEC drop by 17% in average viewers compared to the first week of the spring season. But again, we expect that in summer for it to be slightly lower. Now, the real issue is year over year from summer. So 77,000 peak viewers on the first match of summer. Okay, guys, this time. Last summer, it was 118,000. Summer before that was 222,000. So we are literally talking about from 2021 to 2023 on the first day, a drop of two thirds of peak viewers. And that includes co streamers, guys. Before you guys are like, oh, well, what about the co streamers? That includes co streamers. 77,000 peak, including co streamers. I saw the main Twitch channel at like 30,000 30, viewers.
0: There's another angle people aren't thinking about. You know when I've begged LS, I know you've done this as well, mate. I've begged him to drop LCS and told him, bro, like you're having to take these mental health breaks. It's wearing you out. Like at this point, if 40k is for everyone or 70k is for everyone, I doubt he's even getting that much on his core stream if he does I mean, I know he's ill at the moment in a way, but like, how can Dom and LS justify watching the league if they're getting barely anything, you know? Everyone <laughs> needs the viewership, guys, everyone. Well, I think
1: for Dom, I mean, he had 8000 viewers on his stream, so his stream is doing fine. He's just a larger percentage of the total viewership. So I think if anything, a lot of viewers are actually just going over to co-streamers as opposed to watching the main channel at this point in time.
0: The problem with that is, uh, even though I do like it, you know this that, that you can't really be like, lol, fuck LCS." Like, if the mainstream doesn't get enough views, it's just over as a league. Like, there'll be no core stream at that point in time. That's the problem. So, I like it for Dom, but that's to be a future for the league.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it it really isn't good, and I do think, as I said, part of it was that people didn't know it was happening. But even if you look at the entire weekend, it was not a. It, I mean, it was not a smashing success by any means. By the way, right? am I
0: missing something? Why is everyone so incompetent in esports, right? If me and you, Monty, say I said to you, so today is obviously Wednesday, right? If I said to you, by Friday, we need to get a certain piece of info in front of everyone's eyes, we could easily do it in that time frame, that runway. We would do something like we do a giveaway that you have to retweet and tag four friends on and you win like a subscription and so Then we'd also do things like we'd pay for advertising on Instagram, targeted ads and Facebook. Then we'd actually pay to be in the ad roll of this. We get a bunch of streamers like Dorminella and we'd say, I "Want you to do this ad or spoken at the beginning of your the, all, These are all things that wouldn't even cost mega money. It's like it maybe be like five, ten k, but you would get the massive potential viewership. You'd be like, "The LCS is back. The walkout's over. It's coming." They didn't do any of that. They just sat back and were like, "Where is everyone?" Like the joints are walking in, like pulp fiction. Like, <laughs>
1: here's here's the other thing they could do, Thor. And, and here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna show Riot how to do this right now. Are you ready, guys? Okay. So you understand that Last Free Nation is part of a larger network, right, of various shows. So here's how you do it. So, guys, we have a CSGO channel. If you guys are Counter-Strike fans, guess what? We released another Snake and Banter this week. There's another Hot Take Point made coming out soon. If you guys like those shows, we're, we're starting to release those again. So come on over. And guess what? We launched a new channel. Last Free Nation Culture on YouTube, LFN Culture on Twitter, Last Free Nation Culture on TikTok, Instagram. You guys can check those out. What's on that channel? Well, Doe and I just started our new show, Nerd Legion, where every week we're going through uh, sci-fi and fantasy TV and films. We did Star Trek Strange New Worlds last week. This coming week, we're going to do Black Mirror Secret Invasion and the latest episode of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, where we kind of joke and discuss about these shows. Lots of you have seen it already. Thanks for all the subscribers over there. But head on over to Last Free Nation Culture and check out our first non-esports content and support that if you guys want to see more of it. Uh, It's already out for your viewing pleasure. So drop a comment, like, subscribe, everything like that. So you see what I just did there, Thorin? Now remember that LCK and LPL were running and they didn't use LCK and LPL to announce any changes about LCS. (laughs)
0: They're not even trying. It's like I say, they just don't. The problem with it, the problem with Riot has always been this is something we didn't address during the LCS walkout thing, actually, to be fair, Monty. Richard always says it about the team owners, and I agree, because they can only understand esports through the model of the NFL, essentially. But Riot's even worse. Riot has played their game on easy mode forever, and then when times get hard, they're like, What? I have to like do something and be innovative and actually push the button. Yeah. Yeah, it's not fucking 2012 anymore, dickhead. You don't have 10 times more viewer than every other game. You don't have it like that. So actually, yeah, you've got to actually be creative. You've got to have a street team that hits the bricks and starts telling people about stuff and gets a buzz going. I have even been doing a thing, no joke. I might even have done this, Monty, just because it's a classic thing you do to swag. I might have done that thing where you take out like a massive thing in fucking Times Square where it's like LCS is back, the walkout's over, check out Doublelift and all your favourites. I might even do that just for like, you know, the gesture of showing like, hey, fuck, Esports, but I might even do that. Like, why not? Why not celebrate it? That could be cool, right? We reached an we reached an agreement. I mean, the agreement was just shut the fuck up and play. But yeah, we reached the agreement. Shut up and dribble, bitch. Basically, yeah, they (laughs) did, and indeed they did. Indeed, they did dribble. In this case, they dribbled a bit more than they played League of Legends. If you get my meaning, because mate, I'll tell you right now. I don't know how much of LEC you've watched. The West has never been worse at League of Legends since about season four, mate. This is really dire. LEC is dog shit. It is like G2 is just on easy mode, and even they threw away a game with that stupid Nico thing where they were just trying to do some troll shit. And LCS (laughs) is fucking terrible, mate. These games, forget flip a coin. It's more like just fucking throw a bunch of shit on the floor and then just pick up one thing. All right, that you win. There was this, these t- everyone was loving it. I saw everyone it. was like reveling in all the upsets. Like, do you know how bad it is for the league when big rosters completely fail? Do you know how bad it is when the whack rosters just win games inexplicably? And even worse, this is how I know on the LCS walk thing that none of these fans do support the players, Monty. The teams that hella cynically fired coaching staff and put in assistants and side people and then fired the biggest star players and MVPs and put in bombs from academy, when they win games, you celebrate. You don't even like them. you will ne- They'll never be at Worlds. You'll never watch them. If you celebrate that, you are just the joker. You are celebrating nihilism. You are celebrating the death of society. There's nothing cool about that. They didn't win because they're awesome. They win because like massive million dollar teams are failing right now. That's terrible for everyone in the league. This is why I say, keep that energy if you pretend you're about the LCS and the health of the ecosystem and you support any. To- you don't. You're just fucking, you're all just preying on everyone's downfall because this was a really hard week to watch of LCS, Monty. I kept watching games. Like, this looks like it should be a banger. How many bangers were there? Where are the bangers? I'm like a fucking British guy waiting for fucking his mash and gravy, huh? Where are the bangers? Where are the bangers? That's all right. But where's the main course?
1: The pub kitchen's backed up, Duncan. Uh, I, I look, I think that the teams were underprepared coming into this week overall when it comes to the LCS. Uh, I don't think that these. Records are going to stand. FlyQuest was obviously shockingly bad. And which is weird because really
0: believes the Vulcan takes bad. It can't work. They're all shit. Like (laughs) guess what? You know what? I'll double down. Can I have more of that stock? But you're selling your stock. I'll take it right now. I'll see you in six weeks. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Which is weird because everyone that I've talked to has said that FlyQuest is just dominating scrims, right? The, the scrim bucks are enormous on FlyQuest right now. And that, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why Vikla is playing so badly. He is currently number one in NA solo queue with a 60% win rate. Like surely you can't reach that if you have garbage laning and yet his laning has been garbage within the LCS. So I don't know if this is a nerves issue. You wouldn't think so. He's not a rookie, guys. He played last year on KT, right? He's not unaccustomed to stage games. If it's maybe their comms are changing uh, during the games, that is causing some of the issues that they have. But they've also found a variety of different ways to get beaten from just different lanes, randomly losing to. Uh, missing skill shots to different players running it yeah, down.
0: The one where he just died at like whatever it was, level three against the Azir. That was that there's no way it he that's Dude. good. It was just inexplicable. It was a brain fart or something, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was it was really bad. It was really bad. Uh, I mean, think about think about Prince and Vulcan getting absolutely clapped in lane by Doublelift in the first game of the season, and then when they tried to make a, t- a play top side, they miss skill shots and then die up there. So they die on both sides of the map at the same time. It's awful. It's just awful. And FlyQuest, I think they will turn it around. They should still be the favorite, in my opinion, for the league, despite the fact that. Viklas' play has been pretty rocky for some time this group of players if as long as they can make it into playoffs which remember they only have to make top eight so it's not that big of a deal um should be able to at least get it together for playoffs we know what playoff impact looks like I, I, i'm not sure what's going on i also just have faith in in song as a coach to fix some of these issues but it was rough to watch this team um you know, against TSM, they kind of just bled out slowly on the map. <laughs> um, but uh, we are seeing a lot of passive play, again, in LCS. Credit to Cloud9, who continues to be aggressive. Too aggressive at times, you have to say. And Team Liquid, they're riding an informed summit and a surprisingly good Pioshik, which we know can't last because with Pioshik, him being good never lasts. I've been watching Pioshik for years, guys, and he's streaky. Sometimes he'll go on a tear for half a split where he has some really good games. You know, uh, before last year, he was oftentimes the best player on his team. His team was garbage, but he was the one who was carrying. And for whatever reason, when Pioshik has a bad team, he plays better. And when he has a better team, he plays worse. That's kind of been the Pioshik way of things. And right now, uh, I-, I just don't believe that Team Liquid's going to be able to persevere when they still have... Harry and Yun at key carry positions, even though mid lane is garbage within the LCS right now, surely this can't last for TL.
0: No way. I'll take both sides. So TL's 3-0. I'm telling you right now, Here's, are you ready? Mark this, because this will be a short, this will be a YouTube click, it'll be a TikTok, but it'll be fucking glorious. So when the split ends, guys, and everyone's played 18 games, they've played three games so far, here's my prediction. Team Liquid will be like fifth place or sixth place. there will be a playoff team, but not a top one. They'll have lost tons of games. Meanwhile, FlyQuest is 0-3. So this is a fucking hell of a statement right now. FlyQuest will win nine or 10 games. There's my prediction. Mark it down. Put it there. Think it's a fluke. Deny it. Run from it. Believe whatever you want. Just see you in a few weeks. Let's see it was right and it was wrong. I'm I'm a doubling down on it completely. I even think within the how shit the games were, it couldn't have gone worse. There were still moments where some players looked like they were good, quite frankly. Some players looked like Speaker had moments. There wasn't. It's not like Prince himself was shit the whole game. So like, yeah, they had issues in the bot lane at times. This can turn around. This can turn around, guys. And Team look at one, I just don't believe at all. Sorry. That looked fraudulent as fuck, mate. If you believe that can continue, God bless. God bless. (laughs) Look, I will say about
1: some of their wins, like the one against Team Liquid, or uh, IMT rather, they were really clean. But a lot of that is predicated on a continuance of form from Pioshik that I just don't believe in because it's never happened historically. And we have a large body of work from this player to tell us that it probably won't happen. And it probably won't continue to work that way. Uh, So I just... I think I think Team Liquid, it's hard to have a like a losing win rate when you start three and zero. So I anticipate that they probably still will be fourth, at least in the standings um especially because you know the season is so condensed over the next six weeks you just gotta it's every week is a super week at this point in time so you're going to lose you know that that is going to generate some higher instability in the league in general
0: teams in the league too so you can also still farm a couple of them yeah you can still you can still probably get like nine games maybe yeah you could probably do that
1: but i also think that anticipating the golden guardians and flyquest are going to continue to be below 500 teams is probably a mistake. And those teams are going to rise up the standings and start to take games off of teams like Liquid and EG.
0: But the risk of making it this foreign Monty versus Reddit, I'll tell you the wackest consensus. Because you know the reason I read Reddit. I don't read it for analysis and shit. There's, not, <laughs> there's nothing there's often there. There's just a bunch of bonnets. I read it to get a consensus of what like community is thinking about. Like what, what do they think on topics? Which way are they going? Who are they going down on? Who are they out on? This is probably the worst take of all time, Monty. Reddit's actually I always say Reddit is like crowdsourcing the dumbest take ever. Because if people don't know how mob behavior works, you don't rise to the level of the smartest person because that's one person. You go down to the lowest denominator of the group you all become collectively the dumbest person in the group and so here's what the take is on reddit are you ready this is going to age so poorly it is insane mark it down come back in a few weeks i want to see this comment section full of thorough was right comments right here's what the take is monty that the vulcan trade wasn't just bad that essentially whoever got Ayla evil geniuses that was the real good move and Ayla was the hidden Kwisatz Haderach all along right if you think that those two (laughs) facts are going to continue you are so smoking the old fucking peace pipe I can't even handle it bro like Vulcan is one of the most consistently good players the LCS has ever produced with every ADC he has played with by the way he even was playing with a guy literally malnourished begging to leave the game and winning games and playoff series if you think he's not going to figure it out with the best or second best ADC in the league, you're out of your mind, that's an easy double down, and then the Ayla one look, I actually think is an underrated player but even so, Ayla it wasn't like he was a total idiot, but man did he have some fucking bad players from a support player, man did he have times when yeah. he didn't know what he was doing, so if he can continue this little bit of form, look I'd like to see players be good, but I just don't believe it, yeah, one week doesn't undo all the, in the same way as one bag week for Vulcan, doesn't undo his whole career, this does not transform Ayla into some monster, like I've got to see a lot more than that, mate. I've got to see a lot more than that.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, we, we we all saw some of like the really horrific fresh plays Ayla was making. I I have a lot of kind of questions about his champion pool at the professional level. Uh, we've we've basically seen him kind of exclusively on Enchanters for the most part, which is par for the course with the current meta. But his Thresh doesn't look good. He has had one game on Nautilus uh, last split. And he was an emergency substitute who was never expected to, you know, like he or sorry, he was dealing with the emergency substitute situation of of Winsome coming in because of his visa. But even after he got that visa, it wasn't it wasn't up to snuff and he wasn't the player that we expected to be able to dominate with Prince. So Vulcan is such a insane, clear upgrade for this position that it. I, I'm not sure why the synergy isn't there yet as a team, um, but I assume it's going to get there over time. Um, they, they've they just made a lot of mistakes on the map, either being too passive or in the Golden Guardians game, FlyQuest let Licorice get massively ahead and played the macro game very poorly and basically just let Licorice farm plates on Yone and dropped a bunch of creeps to the tower because Impact was trying to prop up the rest of the map. So they lost to what was effectively at that point in time an unstoppable split pusher. See, to get their head screwed on straight in terms of the shot calling and not dying in lane, and I think FlyQuest will be a much improved team. This and gives okay. us
0: a chance to point something out about what I actually don't like about LCS. What I like about LEC is this, Monty. I understand that for sheer exposure, even for the worst team in the league, they want you to get at least nine games and be your ones, right? So essentially, you have the three weeks of playing the group stage. It's not called groups. It's called season, unfortunately. Then you go into group play, where it's be all threes. That makes sense. LCS, it's actually the worst format I've ever seen, Monty, because they kept the league. And you you remember this when you were a coach. The worst weeks are Super weeks every week is a super week now every fucking week you play three teams in a bo b01 if you don't know the history of league of legends that is by definition the biggest upset generator you can ever create also even though it's only a single game because it's over three different games it's a different type of focus and quite frankly it's so rare teams can actually just do the 3-0 even if they're the best even if they're the best
1: you know what's wild thorin Is that if you have these six weeks, right, you could actually schedule a format where teams play best of threes against each other in a single round robin. And since you only have six weeks, obviously, you'd have nine best of threes to play per team. So sometimes, you know, for some of the weeks, you'd have to double up and have, say, A team play a best of three on Wednesday and then a best of three on Friday, but some weeks they'd only play one best of three, say, on Thursday instead. But you could schedule this. You could completely change the format and do best of threes and do a single round robin like they do in LPL. And at least at least we wouldn't be condensing it so that every week is playing against three different opponents. And we and would see a, best And of it's three.
0: also you're practicing a format that's more akin to the League of Legends we want to see anyway in playoffs, in international play. So, yeah, to me, there's no downside, mate. Like, why do I need to see you play twice, but over BO1s and separate and then all in super? To me, you've muddied the waters. Like, you've made it a bit silly. I,
1: I just don't understand why you would keep the same format and just super weak it every week instead of being creative and trying to come up with something that was a little. A little bit different.
0: I mean, the sad thing is, it's the only one of the major regions that has an actual ship format now. It's the only one.
1: I mean, I'm not a super big fan of the LPL and LCK formats, just because I don't really want to see a bunch of round robins. And I appreciate that it LEC is at least eliminating some of the bad teams relatively quickly at this point in time. But yeah, I mean, LCS is clearly the worst format overall. And I don't want to see even more of that worst format every week. It makes watching the games just incredibly kind of meaningless and painful and also just creates very weird results. I think we'll we'll wait to do more discussions about LCS. I'm sure people want to hear about cloud. I'll give you a quick take on cloud nine, I guess. Um, I think that. This team probably is going to be in the finals again, but they play really cocky and can throw away leads. And I think we are going to see upsets as a result where they get early game advantages overextend as we've seen from players like MNS and blabber and throw away objectives. And I still have a lot of questions about how this team could perform at the international level, even if they're dominating LCS. And I certainly don't expect any kind of undefeated season from them. I think it's so hard especially when every week is a super week to actually go oh, it is. 18 and 0. Yes. is Basically impossible.
0: Even though I will say this might be the weakest LCS field they've ever faced. Cause you've got all these stupid cut down rosters and you've got teams that are just <laughs> not that good. And you've got imports that are like, why are they still in LCS? So I do think the opposition ship, but I agree if every week's three B or ones on different days, no one to do it in zero, mate. You can't do it. You're going to drop one at least out just randomly. You're going to lose a Baron fight, and then Also, in this meta, remember, we're still in the meta where once it gets to a certain point in the game, one team wipe means the other team just pushes on the base and the game's over. That's a really extreme yeah. meta to play in. If this was like season five meta, Monty, where it was more like StarCraft Brood War with like macro, like you take this base, but then I move back to this position. In that one, it's harder to win. In this one, one bad mistake is what happens in the LPL all the time. The game's just over. You just push the base yeah. and it's over.
1: Yeah, the the games end like you say extremely quickly. Um you can you can get picked off and a Jinx reset or a Zeri reset will just clear your entire team if one person is out of position. So the pu- the level of punishment right now is really crazy. Um so going undefeated and having upsets are just going to be more or less I think par for the course as we as we look forward until the meta drastically changes and we probably are not going to see that for a little bit unfortunately just because the static shiv meta pretty annoying and pretty broken as it the stands
0: today. Right why is that? This is a really bad sign for any. Of, why isn't that being abused in LCS by everyone? Dude, the amount of LeBlanc's, I didn't even build it. Like, what? Are you, I, I do you not know He could only play do you know LeBlanc. Play now. Do you know what I mean, bro? Like, get, <laughs> fucking pay attention. It's broken as shit. You can literally I, I, win with just auto attacks. It's mental. <laughs> I,
1: I mean, this... You can wave clear
0: <laughs> like a god. It's got everything you want, mate. Get it all.
1: This is this is so ridiculous. And if you if you guys want to see the most ridiculous uh, iteration of this, go back and watch D plus Kia versus Nongshim Red Force and LCK from this last week and Showmaker doing two games of the static shiv LeBlanc. And watch what happens when Showmaker has this is hilarious, guys. He has Hextech Soul. So he has more chain lightning that slows static shiv Night Harvester and Lich Bane. And watch what he does to minion waves with soul and the Static Shiv and one auto attack with the Lich Bane or the Night Harvester thing. proccing across yeah, the entire team. All. It is absurd to watch this. Um It's game two that that happened. I mean, the whole series is worth watching, not because it's a competitive series, but game one features Canyon on Nico in the jungle. And Canyon is so far the only player in a major region worldwide to play Nico jungle. And he completely smurfs this game. And he's 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 he's. He's using Nico to pretend to be Kellen's Leona a lot of the time and just slash dancing in the jungle just to mock them. And it is very, very funny. Uh, It's an utterly dominant series by by D plus Kia, but. Really entertaining games, if you guys want to go check it. that out.
0: Along the lines of that, like, I talked a bit about it on, on Best Down League show, which is out now, but one of the things I find so whack is the ultimate example of Westerners being like, that's good, so I'm going to use it, but not know what the fuck they're doing is. Dude, their Nikos a dog shit compared to these Eastern New and... The Eastern one, the LPL ones are unbelievable, and there's some really good ones in LCK, like you say. There's a do like I said with that capsware, they're just doing like stupid gimmick shit, mate. (laughs) Don put it the best. If you're the Nico, right, you want to constantly, it's like being pike. You want them to constantly think you could be about to pop up behind them. They're just on your screen all game long. You just see them walk towards the same with the Annie. They walk towards you really aggressively. I wonder if he's gonna flash and bear do the fucking bear on me. Of course he is. You have to come out of a brush, you've got to fucking make this. And also, just because it is funny to be like a million don't actually do it in the game do you know that's like some silly shit you're doing a charity match or something like how about when <laughs> the game? like you say why not be the support and walk into lane with the adc and then just pounce on them that's genius
1: <laughs> i i think um i think what to put it that the, the best example is obviously the g2 game where g2 mega threw because caps wanted to be the ward <laughs>
0: I'm <laughs> in such a stupid spot for a fucking pink ward. Nothing about nothing about it made sense. It was like a troll, like I told you, it's so dumb. They just well, went too so much. Like I guess let, they just, uh, fuck it.
1: They just let Broken Blade die to set up that play.
0: It's dumb as fuck, on it. I know.
1: I mean, I really enjoyed it because it was clear trolling. Oh, um, gosh. <laughs> and they thought they were going to win. And yeah, they thought that
0: they were so far ahead. I know exactly.
1: Yeah. That, that doesn't, that doesn't take away for me that G2 is still the overwhelming favorite based on the games that we've seen so far and the form that we've seen from the players uh, to win LEC. But yeah, I, I think it, there's a pretty clear difference and we are seeing more uh, Nico in the LPL overall because Nico's just basically perma in the LCK. So we haven't actually been able to see that much of it. Um, we we've seen some from from Chovy, but Nico and LCK currently has a hundred percent pick ban rate, and it's only been played in four games. It's three and one, and it's been banned in forty eight games. So forty eight bads, four picks. Every time it's available, it's been picked. Yumi, fifty one games. Uh, it's been banned in twenty two, and what uh, picked in twenty nine. So almost at one hundred percent. Milio, very similar. Um, however, Yumi does actually only have a 12 and 17 win record, which is which is interesting. I know you were, uh, speaking of Yumi, I know you were, and talking about the meta and picks overall, you were kind of molding on Twitter over Freak's post. So one of the things, I, I will preface this by saying, I really appreciate what Freak is doing on the balance team, because I think his videos have been really good at illuminating the thought process behind the balancing, yeah. and he's very good at explaining it. Oh, say so this, he, by the
0: way, from CSGO, we just get like, what happened? They don't even explain why. I actually appreciate that Riot has someone yeah, who comes great. out and explains, here's what we're going for, here's what we're trying. To, here's even what we think's a buff and a nerf, that's cool, I actually agree with you, like, that's very positive.
1: Yeah, and I, I think a lot of the changes that they've been making since Freak has been on the design team have been good. Now, one thing that you just have to understand, and I can say this from knowing Freak for literally 20 years at this point in time, is that Freak is a contrarian. He loves to kind of rile people up. And unfortunately, what Freak will do is even though he is smart and in other contexts, he would argue against his own points if someone else was presenting them because they are kind of disingenuously plucked out of context or they're built on a premise that doesn't make sense and people saw this in the rumble jungle thing where he was trying to argue you know dom famously arguing against him when freak said that it wasn't broken uh and Dom was saying, well, it, it, just because it's being played badly doesn't mean that it's not broken. I, I'm very much reducing those arguments. So he came out on Reddit with some points about Yumi and competitive play, basically poo-pooing the fact that it had reached virtually 100% pick-band status within LCK by saying like, oh, LPL is the superior region and we are seeing significantly less presence. As of right now, Yumi's pick band presence is only at 57.7%, which means there's like 10 champions above Yumi. And so therefore it was the Koreans who are worse players who are the ones that are overvaluing the Yumi, which might be true to a certain degree. But it also might be true that Koreans LCK has a better meta read right now. And so Yumi is actually stronger. You know, it's it's not that LPL has been at all times more powerful. So, for example, guys, in spring, we wouldn't have said that Hail of Blades 80 carry supports are underpowered when T1 was dominating them, when T1 was clearly the best team in the world at that point in time. And it was just because they had a style. Of as a team and a player like Caria who is capable of playing them and other players around the world were not really able to play to that level as a support player, right? So that's one example for you. It doesn't mean that it wasn't broken. It was just that T1 had a unique ability to exploit those champions.
0: The problem is Freak actually did the same shit as what I was making fun of of all those Reddit fans about the walkout. Like, just pay less, bruh. Just fix the ecosystem, bruh. Just take more VC, bruh. Like, just make a salary cap, bruh. His whole thing, for real, was the best people in the world, the literal outlier in any pattern, can manage it so just draft better. By the way, do you know why that's one of the dumbest takes for someone who knows League of Legends? Because your draft will always be better if you have better players who can play more champions and more comps together and have more experience. Like, that it will always be the case. It's the same in Counter-Strike, Monty. I can tell you right now, there aren't teams who are ranked 15th in the world who have a six-map pool out of seven because they wouldn't be ranked 15th. The teams that have the six-map pool are, like, top three. And the point is, because you've got better players, so you can win on maps you're not good on. You've got more experienced players, so you can play on maps you're not very good at. There's a million fact you got. You're really good on some maps. You can practice some more. Some more. like it, that's why it was actually for real. It was like you say. It was just him constructing a devil's advocate argument. But what the problem he has is this: I at least wink. I let people know there's some kayfabe and it's a character. He makes people think these are all his real takes, mate, that he really is an idiot. Like, that's the part I find sad because I've always told people this. He is not actually a fucking moron. You can tell he isn't. You can tell he knows a lot about League of Legends. He just picks these really weird, like... I mean, I don't like this vernacular, but the way, like, hill to die on, he just picks these weird spots to plant his flag. I mean, you remember the old school one was when T1 was the best. That was when he was saying China was going to win. Like, exactly the one period when they couldn't have won, you idiot. But that was when he was saying... China was going to be the best. Like like he, said, year, right? he
1: I, I just this is just from knowing him. He just has he has something inside of him that has to be contrarian in these positions, even when I think he would not believe himself and to the point about better players it, unfortunately it kind of goes against the design philosophy because riot has stated this right so riot has stated that they don't want nico to be or uh, sorry yumi to be a high skill champion they want it to be a more introductory champion for people to come into the game and be able to play with their friends right and if that's the case then the argument has to be like, why are we see if we are seeing this champion, if you consider LCK a less skilled region and we are seeing this champion at near 100% pick ban rate within LCK, then it has been a failure because it's too effective at its job, which is propping up lower skill players. If its job is to make players who are worse able to play the game of League of Legends, then where you don't want to see it the most is in the worst
0: regions this right? is what, what you're saying by the way is why it is a fundamentally bad champion Monty because if it was really awesome the reason why you would pick it as the best support in the world isn't for the auto win it's because you'd be able to do shit no one else could do with it that is not the case carry on that champion cannot do insane shit that like fucking Trimby can't do in the LEC so the problem like you're saying is the champion raises the flaw of your team it doesn't actually make your team a better team at League of Legends so there's a problem with it as a champion here's the Thing, Monty, I don't care about champions like yawn being really strong. That's a lot of skill expression when that's out there. You have to do a lot of cool shit. There's a lot of counterplay. You can dodge it, you can collect a million things you can do. The Umi, the problem with it is it is just too paint by numbers. And it's become like I give the analogy always it's become like that thing with the Infestor in StarCraft Wings of Liberty where it's never wrong to pick, or in that case, build it. It's never wrong to pick Umi. If you have the right uh, right couple of ADCs, it's always going to be the right pick. The joke is you can first pick it rotation. There's never going to yeah. be wrong in the draft. Using like what's the counter? Uh,
1: it, I mean, I think that it, it, the, the the counter is gameplay on the map, right? The counter is punishing Yumi in lane. The counter is diving Yumi. You know, for example. Uh, There are ways that you can set the Yumi behind or punish the AD carry within the laning phase if you have good coordination as a team and the jungler is doing a lot of work. Now, the problem with Yumi is that even when you do punish punish it, if there is a—in this meta, especially with champions like Jinx and and Zeri, if you have a lot of resets that are capable or, you know, there's a snowball champion like Viego who's going to reset in a fight— There's there is more comeback potential at all times with a Yumi because the speed that she gives your carries and the healing that she gives your carries within a fight allows you on hyper carries to deal more damage and to come back from potentially unwinnable situations that or situations that would be unwinnable without having a Yumi on your roster. Right. And so that's the problem is that it it eliminates leads in a way. So it either snowballs leads. If you get ahead with the Yumi, oh my God. Well, I mean, we've seen what players like ruler can do with a Zara Yumi lane, right? If you get ahead, then you become an unstoppable juggernaut basically. And if you're behind, it gives you more of an opportunity to win the game. So, if you're winning, it gives you less of an opportunity to lose, and if you're losing, more of an opportunity to win. And that's not what we want. We don't want champions to serve as like rubber band mechanics within the game. And I think that's part of the popularity with Yumi, is that LCK has been the more conservative region, and it is a conservative choice because Yumi, Yumi basically can... It, it, it exacerbates variance when you're winning, and it reduces variance when you're losing. And that's not it's not a great thing. Right. So I don't know. I've I've been I've been pretty it's been pretty unfortunate to watch Yumi come back in the meta. I really appreciated it. How it was banned at MSI. And if they want this champion within the game, that's totally OK. I just don't understand why we can't have a permanent ban on Yumi in professional play.
0: That's what I, I don't understand. I've made this point before, but I'll make it again. Why can't it just be like Magic the Garden and that card is limited from pro play? Yeah. What? That, they do that with like the super powerful OP cards, of course. You don't have to keep tweaking forever and try a military Remember you Remember, the reason why I also hate it in League of Legends, I'll tie it into the static shift point now, Monty, is because there only are two splits each year. You're gambling people's whole worlds, appearance and careers on this shit. Like I hate that, mate. I hate the idea that a fan on a on a wiki in four years from now will just look back and go, wow, I can't believe how shit player X was. And it's like, yeah, that was he was just on a team that didn't abuse that Shiv.
1: Yeah, I, I also I also just don't understand the the purpose of not banning Yumi. So Yumi makes professional players mad. It makes the hardcore esports fans mad. Nobody likes this stuff. So the question is, what is the downside
0: you make of banning Yumi? One side of the map OP, right? They're going to have the <laughs> draft advantage all the time. <laughs> well, I, I, think, I think when you when you look at
1: Yumi, right, and you say, well, if we ban a champion and the reason why people watch esports a lot of the time is to get better at the game or because they're active players within the game. Uh, do we really think that there are a bunch of Yumi mains who will not watch the world championship if Yumi is disabled did we see a drastic dip in MSI viewership because Yumi wasn't there you know what I mean I I, you don't lose anyone in terms of viewership by banning Yumi but by having Yumi available you piss off the most hardcore fans of your own product and you piss off your professional players nobody likes this champion I have seen zero people who are fans of this esport who have said you know what." This game is better because of Yumi, that, uh, because Yumi is in it. I've seen There's that opinion from no fans. pro players,
0: no coaches, nothing. I want to see the comments in Twitch chat and I want to see them on the YouTube comments. Tell us your favorite Yumi player. <laughs>
1: <laughs> They're all the same. They're all the same, Thor. And that's the thing. They're all the same. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You can't even name one. The joke is, as you said, your favorite Yumi player is whichever mid laner or ADC they're attached to that you want to see go John Wick and fucking destroy everyone.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Like, do I, do I, I think the upside, as you say to Yumi, is because she speeds people up, it can be sometimes cool to see a player like Ruler have their mechanical limits tested on on champions because you have to click even faster uh, in order to make to make uh, the, the most out of the Yumi. Um, I
0: mean, my joke, it's a mean joke, but you know what? Why do I even give that disclaimer? This is the Thorin persona, <laughs> kayfabe all day long, boys, right? I made this joke in the past, but I'm gonna make it again. I know who the secret real power behind Riot is. It's whoever Mercer's uncle is. Because this guy's just keeping it, he's gonna get a whole career off this champion. Like he played it all the time in Misfits. He's still got a fucking job in Hivex. I don't know how he keeps fucking dodging by. I've said it before. He must just have the craziest Jedi mind trick of all time. Like when Peter Don and the others walk in the room, we're like, we're really gonna have to think who we're gonna cut. We should maybe start with like support. He's like, you don't want to start with support. They're like, oh well, maybe we'll look to ADC then. Yeah, Jack you're not really cutting out. You get him up the team. Like, fucking hell, mate. This guy, he's going to have a whole career playing Yumi. That's like, my joke is this. Yumi, when you're a fucking support player that's supposed to be decent, it's like when you let your little brother play fucking, uh, you're telling him he's playing as Tails in Sonic, but he has not the my, fucking controller plugged in. That's, it's old. <laughs> it's really old dated reference. But if you know it, it's so fire. It's it's worth putting it out there. It's worth putting out there. If you know the reference, you know it, okay?
1: Uh do you wanna do you wanna talk about Team Heretics? Because they yeah. were one of the surprises from LEC this week. Uh obviously from their rather kind of disastrous start to 2023 to the major roster changes that they they've accomplished now, surprisingly keeping Evie, I, I think. Uh, but otherwise Parting ways with Jack Spectra and Ruby. Who I mean, are let's two just put their... on the
0: table, Monty. Even though yes, Ebby is utterly terrible and indefensible. You have to realize when it comes to Ruby and Ebby, that's like a fucking Sophie's Choice where you secretly want them both to die, <laughs> but you can only pick <laughs> one, and you're like, well, hell, which one's pissing me off more? I guess Midland's more important. So fuck it, bringing VTO. You know what I mean? I, look,
1: I I said <laughs> this, I said this on Power Spike, Thorin. But if Evie just becomes the looper of this roster, loop remember, looper is a literal. World champion, and yep. his one job was to TP into bot lane. And yep. guess what? Evie's one job has been on Heretic so far. It is TP, t- <laughs> it's TP yeah. into bot lane. That's, that's his job. And you know what?
0: I'm here for it. I, I, I that am here for every to me at the bot lane. That, that, The way they're using those players, because I know what pro players are like, mate, and especially a team that has like a Japanese player with a French player with a Spanish player. I'm telling you right now, that screams to me, fucking Peter Dunn coached the team well. He had them prepared for what they were going to do. And he told them, essentially drilled into them. We would do it in these, you have like a floor chart. When in this situation, we do the TPs. Because you know what it's like. Back in the TP meta, Western teams were terrible at it. They were always the ones at TP disadvantage, or they'd use it too early, or they didn't know if to, when you should use it to flank. So, like the idea, one of the worst teams in the league with like a couple of good players is pulling that off consistently. That just looks like coaching staff, diff, mate. That look that looks like Peter Dunn's gone to work. Yeah, that's my and
1: We know we know that Peter Dunn, he, he, even if he doesn't have the best players. The the skills that Peter Dunn has are using the strengths of his players extremely yes. intelligently and building play styles and rosters that will play in potentially very specific ways. He's appropriately
0: uh, named because he is just Peter. I'll get it done. <laughs> yeah. he will get it done.
1: And, uh, and this roster, <laughs> we, what did we want to see? We wanted to see uh, VTO kind of activated again after yeah. he had a disappointing twenty twenty three, coming off his MVP performances. Uh, very in, very intriguingly, like picking the Kaisa into Perks' LeBlanc. It was yep. very obvious that, and we heard, I, I was reading um, uh, Peter Dunn's tweets about that afterwards, where he said that uh, he just trusted VTO to pick the Kaisa. Basically, the thrust of it was VTO said, Hey, pick me, the, the Perks is going to pick the static Shiv LeBlanc. They had picked it the day before on Vitality and done very well. And obviously, guys, Perks picking static Shiv LeBlanc is the most evident thing of all time because first off perks loves to play LeBlanc and he loves to split push and this basically activates all of all the good things about perks right which is his ability to put pressure on the map his individual decision making how many times has perks won games by appropriately pr- putting pressure down in a side lane, yep. right? Uh, a bazillion. Like as soon as I saw the static Shiv, I was like, wow, this is actually going to be really good for vitality. So it, they baited him into it. And even though VTO apparently did very badly in this matchup in practice, did really well with it on, on stage, also building the static Shiv, right? Um, providing kind of a more AP hybrid hybrid build with Nashers and uh, Ginsu's and, uh, and Zonias. So, it was a it was a good pickup, can match the side lane pressure as well uh, with Kaisa. So I really enjoyed this pickup. But also at the same time, if you look at kind of the 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 way that Heretics has been playing, you know, they've got Flackett on the Lucian. They've got Flackett on the Draven. And they're TPing very aggressively in the bot lane to push winning scenarios in the bot lane. And also a lot of the times to help feed kills onto VTO. So that has come as a sacrifice. For Evie. And yes, Evie has also almost thrown games like we saw against Vitality. I assume that's a communication issue because he's walking up into the mid lane when his team isn't there sometimes or they're not all there overextending. Um, but if he's doing his job, Evie, they can win with Evie playing
0: this way. It's just he can't be expected to, to potentially carry. I mean it does also help him that Cassante is still in the fucking meta that certainly helps and then here's the last thing that allows him to survive Monty this is why if I did have to do the Sophie's Choice I would have picked Ruby to die over Ebi in this metaphorical scenario in a video game Minecraft on Twitch.tv because here's why Monty right now Europe has never had a weaker pool of top laners ever than this if you watch the LPL and then you watch LEC you would think one is like the little kids league it's fucking sick how bad these top laners are it's the shittest. <laughs> I've ever seen because even the ones that potentially could be good like the weak siders like Odouan they are on the worst team the ones that could be good are on the shittest team so as a result like Ebi can get away with it as long as he gets half the games on Cassante and as you say he's never going to be expecting to win his lane they're going to just play around Vethio and Flakhead they're going to use the TP He can, yeah he can survive it's fine. It's obviously a fucking band-aided team, but whatever. It's actually a solid team, though. When you look at how bad they were before, these are decent pickups. In fact, some of them are very good. I think the VTO one with Jankos, I can't wait to see how that keeps playing out. Flackhead's fine. Yes, he did that stupid fucking reckless around the Nexus, but whatever. By the way, this is where fans will always be insufferable, Monty. What they do is they've like slowed down the video and they're like, actually, technically, you couldn't have uh, entered the game. How did he know that in the se- in the time, you <laughs> fucking clown? No one's at... That, that, you- I don't know, the whole calculated meme comes from Hotshot GG and other people, in like season 2 and the whole point of the meme is it's supposed to be ironic that of course you couldn't actually calculate if you're going to survive on 2 health, you obviously just gambled and you got lucky, no one actually calculates, I've said this before about the team fight breakdowns, what he's doing there is sort of articulating their actual like fucking subconscious understanding and feel for the game, but using the active voice as though that's what they're thinking they're not actually thinking and then I'm gonna like bit out his flash and I jump over it and I he cleanses and like no what that's like you look you know here's the analogy that's mega one that's like those fake self-defense courses they market for women where they go right and then he throw a knife comes in here you grab the hand hi yuck, <laughs> and then you pull him over your shoulder Punch, punch, punch! It's like while he's doing that, he stabbed you five times. If you know how like a, a real fight works, like that's what the, that you're you're you all making it sound. It's like when Soaz didn't hit that one last Nexus against OMG at season five worlds, and they were like, "He only needed to hit it one more time." He didn't know that. He didn't know that, did he? he you know that because he paused it, went back, had a million arguments on Reddit, and in the end, someone ran the numbers. No, he didn't know that. The point is he didn't try to win the game. That's my problem. It's not about <laughs> if he succeed, he didn't try to win the game. So even, though, I, even with that said, he's still fine. He's still a fine player.
1: Yeah, I, I also think that, and I, obviously this is the drum that I have been beating for many, many years, one of the primary problems with League of Legends is crits. And even though crits get weighted and, you know, it's not true RNG, one of the issues with that play is whether he was going to get crits or not onto the Ari, right? And so if he can't calculate accurately what's going to happen, then random events can occur, which are going to change the outcome of that play. And I hate it. You know, frankly, I hate it. I wish they would just do away with crits in this game, figure out a different way to, to work Yasuo and some of these champions that have crits that are automatically built into their kit or crits worth diff- differently for them, like Jin as well, right? Um, because it is just very frustrating and it makes it really hard to, for pro players to make the right decision. And it makes it very hard for us to analyze what the right position was in, in, that, in that scenario. Also, just as a point in this game, this is why Yumi shouldn't be allowed in professional play. The fact that they, that SK was almost able to come back in this
0: game is completely it was only outrageous. It was only.
1: And it was because of Zeri and Yumi. It was because of Zeri and Yumi that they were even in this game at all. And it shouldn't, it shouldn't take us to the point where Flack, we have to see this this play from Flackid for them to potentially win or lose this game because they were dominating this game for a lot of it. They were just completely dominating it, especially through the bot lane. And we shouldn't be able to have a rubber band mechanic with Yumi that can prop SK back into this game.
0: No, the other thing about that as well is that was the most extreme example I've seen. But even then, like, because of how far ahead fucking um, heretics were, they still weren't going to lose the game. Like, yeah, the first fight they lost, it looked exciting. They would have had to do that perfectly, like three times in a row. And as you saw, even X couldn't do that. You got too high for you, went in the pit. They got caught one by one. Like The, the, the other thing about Heretics is there's no way they're going to stay 3 0. That's a fraudulent 3 0 right there. They're a better team, but like, mate, they could have lost a bunch of these games. Like, this was fucking sus as fuck the way they played it. Even against Vitality, they were just like trying to feed fucking kills to them. It was, it was terrible. was actually criminal in that game, mate. That was one of those ones where they needed, woo, 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 right? we are got to fucking in police. What the Fucks going on here, sunshine? <laughs> Look, you can't have a drink of water. And then my fucking partner's coming in, dorm and he's going to go fucking ham. So you better tell me now. Your fucking teammates have already told you know. Here's the thing about it, though,
1: because they're only doing the the single round robin. Going three and zero basically guarantees that you are going to head into the next phase. It's fine, yeah, that's what it's the thing:
0: they're an all right team, model. They're going to be like fifth or sixth, Oh yeah, they're much they're gonna, better they're than be they better. But they're not going to be like the best team. Come on, the three zero, you just be no. dreaming if you'd see that, you know. Strength of schedule is still king. Some of those games just didn't check the eye test, you know.
1: Yeah. It just is what I, it is. Yeah, they're they're clearly they're clearly not going to be uh, the best team in this league, it, not by a long shot with some of the other rosters that you have here and some of which that I hope that a
0: lot of teams are, are going to be able to bounce rocky. back. So you can maybe steal oh, yeah. some more wins. Yeah, there might be some more available. You might have a nick over some big teams because a lot of teams look fucking shaky right now, mate. I think the biggest
1: surprise for me isn't that necessarily G2 is doing well because Broken Blade, who we thought would be kind of a liability at MSI, turned out to be one of their best players at MSI, and he's really stepped up and we've seen some very good performances out of him. So I don't really know what was going on in spring, where he was so terrible a lot of the time. But whatever happened at MSI seems to have turned him around. Same thing with licorice. Very weird that we would see these top laners who are getting bodied domestically um show up at MSI and then completely continue that level of domination, at least in the early phases of summer and broken blade has been doing well. But the biggest surprise to me, Thorin has been that we've seen more of a standard style of play out of G2. So far, there hasn't been any kind of really like, you know, yike trickery. Um, We haven't seen the same reliance on their level one set plays Uh, the, the game they lost to mad lions. They threw and should have won. Um, The other games that they played looked really dominant caps looks better than he did at at MSI, where I think he was a little suspect Um, Hansama returning to the form that we expect from him as a player. But we've we've really seen rather kind of standard compositions, no Belveth, no like hyper carry junglers uh, coming out couple their wins have been with Yike on Maokai and playing more or less front to back team fighting compositions. And to me, you always know that G2 has the wild card, right? You know they can go back to these plays and play styles and compositions that are totally unique to them as a team. But you're not always confident that they can play standard super well, but they've been doing that. And I think that's a really good sign for them. And that's why I have so much faith in them winning LEC again.
0: No, I mean, right now, here's the problem. I was, before the split began, I was on Mega Vitality Hopium because I just look at the roster and it's like, bro, you just keep looking at the lineup and you're like, how can this not be really good? I'll even say this, considering Vitality looks shit, they could have been 3-0 this week. They were in all three of those games. But uh, unfortunately, if Vitality isn't going to be it, BDS is exposed. Mad Lions is pretty good, but you just like they just don't have the best players. G2 should win. It's a bit like Cloud9 and LCS. Like right now, there's no reason you shouldn't be the best team. They should walk it, basically.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, I, it's great that Mad Lions was able to take that win off of them and kind of battle back. And I think, at least so far, like, Mad Lions has been really good. One thing that's been... A very pleasant surprise from Mad Lions is that RZ appears to be able to play Aphilios now, which has yep. just never been true previously. We've talked many times on this show how in previous Aphilios metas, Carzi career has, you know, a very substandard win rate and he's looked really bad. He has avoided playing Aphilios by playing champions like Ezreal instead in those metas, playing off meta picks. But some of the team fighting that we've seen from him in these games on affilios has looked very, very strong. And if he has fixed kind of this hole in his champion pool, um, it's a, obviously an excellent sign for mad lions because they have the players to support Karzi and allow him to pop off. Like Nisqy is going to be self-sacrificial in order to get the AD carry online. And if he can play all the necessary champions in a hyper carry ADC meta, Great. Like, that's going to be a really good sign for for Mad Lions overall.
0: The big positive with Mad Lions to me is this. There's another team that are so obviously well-coached because that is a team with a bunch of players that can be inters. Mate, if you put them on their own in different teams, I guarantee you, Kazi, Hillisang, and the Chasey guy wouldn't. And they even occasionally in this team. But this is one of those teams that's like five fingers of a hand. They all play together. They all go in together. They all understand each other's weaknesses, even in a covering for each other. Like, it's actually a really well-put-together squad. My problem is just this. You already saw it at MSI. You, You can't want this team to be a Worlds team, guys. This is one of those teams at Worlds that will never make the jump. They will just go there and get battered across the board. And I just can't see how they can be good it's my only issue. In LEC they're fine. They could be in the finals again. They're good enough. I mean, I
1: think that's kind of the issue overall is just again the individual player strength. If you're watching especially LPL right now, uh, I think LCK has been a bit shaky so far this split. They've looked they've looked a little uh, less polished, but some of the individual skill that we're seeing from LPL and the fact that LPL actually did make some very important midseason roster yep. moves in order to prop up teams that were good, but not necessarily contenders, such as Gala going to LNG is obviously like a huge one over there. It's v- The teams in LPL right now, like the top of the league is just so insanely stacked. And, and the other thing, too, is that top esports seems to have gotten their shit together, which was a major problem. So if Top is now good, an actually good team, and we'll, we'll get some evidence because Top plays JDG this week, uh, and LNG has an improved roster, Billy Billy has been get, just getting better and better as time went on. We didn't expect them to be the team yep. that went to that went to MSI like nobody picked that one. Right. Um, and we even have Weibo looking better and obviously the rise of omg over the last season we is also kind of a surprising standout right now i think obviously their strength of schedule is not amazing and they're going to kind of come back down to earth but the only team that we would say really fell off was was edg and part of that was we've seen worse performances from players like fofo but they were and they and they cut leave this very we we had all the conversation on the show is leave or pays like the best new like the best rookie of 2023 and he got into some outside of game scandals with prostitution and some other shit you guys can look that up if you're if you're so inclined now they have signed uzi but again this is a uzi that maybe not at the peak of his powers right now and edg was always a team that was based off of they were more than the sum of their parts. That's why they were surprising in terms of their performance last split. Um, but losing their up-and-coming star eighty carry in an eighty carry meta is really rough, right? And it's, it's highlighted kind of the, the subpar performances of players like Fofo. And I don't think that EDG necessarily has the firepower to get back on top, especially when the teams with the firepower who are underperforming like top are now looking significantly better.
0: They were another team, EDG, where it just looked like a great job by the coaching staff. You must have just worked magic here, getting everyone on the same page, because the ill guys like what Ben was. He's a coin flipper. JJ has some amazing games. He has some whatever games. Leave was the best player on the team. 4-4 is a bit shaky at mid. He was a monster in the LMS, but that's just a much weaker league, so it's obvious he wouldn't be as good, I'm afraid. None of the guys who were the mid laners, Maple, that have never really been able to crack the LPL and truly be elite. They've just been good or mid-table. So the problem they have as a team base, basically is the Uzi I thing's just thrown a wrench into the whole team and as you say, the rest of the league so strong like this is where I always know that people on Reddit just don't even watch the games mate when because they didn't do that well in the last split everyone just told me what do you expect rookies been watched for years you don't watch the games I'm just telling you I used to hate that as an insult because people would say it to me when they just disagreed with me I can tell you just don't watch the games like he's having some fucking stellar carry performances he even did last split he'd have games where he just looked like his old self you put him on his signature champions he'd more monster you. Yeah. you put him on an aria something; I it'll be a good game of course so the, it, people don't know how deep the lpl is it's crazy now it's crazy how deep it is
1: yeah and uh, considering they're going to send four teams to worlds it's uh, regardless of which teams fall out of form there are going to be so many potential good rosters i mean there's probably six at least teams that are going to be really world class in terms I mean, they're of they're all playing strength. against
0: JDG. They're all getting that fucking experience, <laughs> leveling up, seeing how seeing what happens when you give a Yumi to a, a ruler type team. They they know what it's like. They don't have to wonder. Oh, can we can we counter this? Like they know you can't.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I think we is going to fall off. But think about these teams that are also at the top of the league: top Billy Billy, JDG, Weibo, LNG, and OMG
0: and scout is still a stud if no one's been watching he might just be going for another mvp mate he's just a fucking monster lg <laughs> right, is my favorite lpl
1: team so i've i'm happy they got gala and uh you know they they actually dealt top their only loss in the first week of competition um in the lpl and that i think it's going to take longer for them to fully integrate gala and i haven't actually seen so we're recording this um you know, at 8 a.m. my time. And so last night, BLG did 2-0 LNG, so I haven't seen those matches yet. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think I think LNG probably won't win the league, but they ha- it's it's if you had watched this team last split, you would definitely say that Gala is a massive upgrade and they should be a better team. And it just goes to show how strong some of these other teams have gotten within the LPL. And so... And- I, I think I think if you look at LPL, and again, this all started as a conversation about how weak the West is looking right now, and if you are keeping your eye, especially on LPL at this point in time, it becomes very evident because of the wealth of teams that they have at the top, whereas the LCK, I, I think some of the teams have looked shakier than we might have expected. And I think there's really only may three, maybe four teams that will be competitive. And a lot of these teams are going to be worse. I think than the LPL teams
0: are. I mean, right now, especially with the meta, the way it is and the way the game is right now, dude, this is the LPLs world right now. We just live in it. Like, as you say, even LCKs had sort of a slow start. I mean, by the way, spoiler this next week, this is the dream fucking day of games. Literally, the best teams are going to all play each other. You're going to have a kid. Really? The, fucking banger, Telecom war, the Gen <laughs> GD1. That one's going to be a banger. But aside from that, it does look a bit lackluster across the league, I have to say. LPL is just popping right now, mate.
1: Yeah. And i I will say, like, part of my bias is going to be that this last week of LCK games was really it like there were just no premier matchups in in the last week and it was a lot of stomps it was every match was a 2-0 except for Breon beating D plus Kia and you guys who didn't watch the games might be like oh well how did that happen is that's a major upset well Deft had COVID and they had a they had a substitute player so let's not read too much into that one um and by the way, when Deft was playing remotely against Nongshim looked amazing and they completely bodied Nongshim in the series that we talked about with Canyon's Nico Jungle earlier. Um, but I'm not excited about D plus Kia yet because they their strength of schedule has been very weak. And this coming week is when they play KT and Gen G, who are the two best teams in the league right now. And those are going to be the matches where we actually learn a lot about D plus plus. and D plus versus KT is happening tonight uh, as of the recording. Um, so it'll all be already be finished by the time some of you guys watch this VOD, uh, or catch up on the podcast. Um, but this is a good
0: time. I think Thorin to talk about our match of the week. I'll just quickly B-Sports say though, I do. That's why I do get sad about D plus though, because on paper, it should be so good. Fucking deft showmaker and Canyon. Like by the way, they're a team that remember never had the fucking dominant ADC. They never had the play. They could play through. They always had to play through top side of the map. This is your time, but somehow just it just has never fully worked. Like they had this light spring run when they were good, but like it's never it's never come together like you hoped it would, you know. This looked like it could actually be. I mean, he won that worlds on sort of a fluke, and he wasn't the main reason. This looked like Deft might actually get one last like really good year out of his career and have a chance to win it all again. Look, it's a veteran group
1: of players, Thorin, and this is the danger that we always talk about yeah. with d plus Kia. It's the reason why G didn't pick them in the playoffs of spring because it's always been kind of a bad matchup for for Gen G. And they Gen G has like responded very poorly to some of the weird stuff that D plus will do in these series, like play Karthus Jungle or, you know, last year when they when uh, when D Plus almost beat Gen G by using the Nidalee pick and it was a miracle that Gen G was able to come back to make it to the finals in game number five. Um they they have had you know Dom One slash D plus has kind of been their Achilles heel. But the problem with D plus is that they only they're veteran players who have had such insane peaks that you're always afraid that they're going to get back to those peaks, right? Like the known quantity of these players is so high that you just have to avoid them. And even though they might be mediocre throughout the entire split, it's like what we said at worlds last year. I mean, they made a deeper run than we thought they would have at worlds in 2022 and had a better performance. And if this team starts you know all all pistons are firing at some point in the qualifiers or the playoffs they can win they can always potentially win they have the group of players that we know can win uh their their roster is incredibly strong their champion pools are super deep they have crazy flexing that nobody else can do like i said earlier canyon's the only player in any major region in the world who's played nico in the jungle so far and nico has been an incredibly popular pick We've seen it all over the LPL, 100% pick ban rate, mostly banned within the LCK, and he was super dominant on it against Dong Shim. Think about the other strengths that D plus Kia has as a team. They can flex Talia in the jungle. Canyon could play so many different junglers. He's back on some Lee Sin now, which we've seen somewhat in other leagues, but obviously it's not, it's a fringe meta pick at the moment. Um, So you never really know what you're going to get with deep He's playing scion in the jungle now for fuck's sake. Like well, now that's like a box of chocolates,
0: basically Monty. <laughs> yeah. This is,
1: I, mean, I, you just never know what they're going to do. And so they're really yeah. dangerous on red side because they have all these flex picks and they'll just take scion and then, you know, flex it into the jungle. You have no fucking clue. It's going to happen. They'll take Nico and flex it in the jungle. They'll take Talia and flex it into the jungle. Um, So with clever drafting, I think they can do well. They're also in a meta where Kana famously uh, had was undefeated this year on Renekton until he played against Breon. Now, they did lose to Breon when he was playing Renekton, but again, they had a substitute player at eighty carry. And Deft has been their most consistent carry this year, so losing Deft is really a very detrimental blow. But if you think about it, well, we're moving into... Guess who's a jinx god? Oh, right. It's Deft, right? We're moving into a meta where you can really rely on Deft to play. And as Wolf and I talked about on the Monty and Wolf show, you know, they do better when they're like hard winning in the bot lane. And I think that they struggle when they don't really push very aggressively through the bot lane and set Deft up for success. So in some ways, despite all of their very champion pools, their play style is a little bit one dimensional. But a lot of the reason that was true is because Showmaker himself said he was burnt out earlier this year, right? We haven't seen the level that Showmaker is capable of. But this meta, by the way, guys, if you want to see Static Shiv LeBlanc, Showmaker is sublime on this very broken champion. Watch those Nongshim games. He's a great Talia player, right? He, he can play Annie. Twisted Fate is buffed. He is historically an amazing Twisted Fate player. This seems like a meta that is very, very primed for D plus to be successful if they can kind of push through their own bullshit because they have been their own worst enemy, right? It's it's not that they lack the skill. It's that they've lacked the coordination and the decisiveness and the ability to shift their play style into other players carrying but if showmaker is on form and motivated and practicing that's probably the kick in the ass this team needs and they could be a, a very dangerous threat
0: so well, what is the game of the week then
1: Ah, oh, thank you i'm glad you asked uh so we've got a fun new uh uh promotion from esports bet guys so if you are signed up with our referral link, which you can see on your screen and will also be a link below. So sign up. It is free. You can play for free with DJT guys and then change that DJT into crypto, like real money, crypto, right? So if you go to eSports and sign up with our referral link, we now have a new promotion. And this one's very cool, which is that we are picking a match of the week every week uh to highlight. And what happens is if you are signed up with our referral link and you place a prediction on that match, you will get a 10% additional bonus to your winnings up to the equivalent of $100 of USDT. So if it's DJT, you'll get 10% equivalent to $100 USDT, up to, I should say, um, as long as you place a large enough prediction. Or if if you're using other crypto, it will be the equivalent of $100 USDT. So obviously that means if you win, $1,000 of USDT, you would get the full $100, no more than that. So it's a way to basically win more. And our match of the week this week is the telecom war, which is T1 versus KT. Um, Also, if you guys are signing up, this is another reason to use our referral link. The same old bonuses apply, which means that you can either get a 50% deposit bonus up to $200 or a risk-free bet up to a hundred dollars USDT. So you can afford to kind of take a flyer on something and
0: get some good returns. So Remember, that's, uh, this was the fucking banger matchup last splitting in the playoffs. This was the, this was the one yeah, you wanted and KT to should have won
1: in the playoffs. KT <laughs> should have won the series in the upper bracket. Um, it's always been close between these two teams. Uh, uh, and T1 has consistently come ahead. But one of the things about betting on these matches is that the T1 line is always so crazy. So right now, the live odds are, by the way, guys, 1.375 to T1 to 3.142 for KT. KT is the better team right now, guys. How How do they have over three? So even if you were to believe that this is a coin flip match, the, the, the odds of T1, the, the T1 fans always are putting huge amounts down um, onto, uh, onto T1 so you can get some really good value. This is the time to use your risk-free bet up to $100 on KT because you can either get your money back or you're going to get a huge payout, right, at, at basically 3.14 odds. Um, and so I'm taking KT all day here. And you can get an additional 10% if you're right, one way or another. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think like this matchup in particular, KT is the, is, has just been fabulous. And you can point to the fact that, yeah, they lost to Gen G. If you want to ignore the fact that the lost to Gen G was part of the whole bullshit where Aiming bought the static shiv, even though it was banned, again, that was. Patch 13.10 is now fixed yep. for 13.11, which they're on this week, so that's why you can buy Static Shiv again because of the, the interaction with the renata Glass ult. So basically, hilariously, just more spaghetti code for you guys. What apparently would happen is that if the, the user got ulted by Renata-Glask, then what would happen is there were some fringe interactions where Static Shiv would allow you to farm your own minions Dota style. <laughs> now, ignoring the fact that Renata Glass was not even in this game, it was still a banned item. Um, so that interaction could not have occurred. But I do think that that rather tilted KT. I mean, they were already behind in that game, so we can argue whether they would have won anyway. Um, but I think it really did have a mental effect on the whole series, caused an hour delay while Hirai, the coach, was arguing with them. And then he later got suspended and fined $2,000. Whole shit show over there. Um, and so. And also, KT won the first game of that series incredibly convincingly uh, against Gen G. So I think those teams are the top two teams overall in the league right now. But KT has just been—they've just been wonderful to watch, man. My guy Keen has been doing insane work. He is the best top laner. Really the right his down. career,
0: isn't it? He's so good. I am so
1: happy. I am so happy to see Keane because he was finally. so bad last year. He was yeah. so bad last year, and he's a player that I've always loved. And now we can see it was just the motivation probably from being on a shit roster. Same thing with BDD. BDD is another player who has had a major renaissance after having a really, really tough 2022. But Keen's just a complete package right now, man. Um, excellent flanking, excellent team fighting, can play tanks for the team, super threatening on carries, or, and if he gets ahead, he doesn't throw. It's Like, if you give him an advantage on Renekton or Jax, he's just going to take over the entire game. Um, so I've been loving watching Keen play. Could it be a better meta for BDD? Azir's back in the pool right now. Um, you know, he's he's been a great Talia player historically. Uh, he, I'm sure his, you know, split push LeBlanc, if he ever gets the static shiv, is going to be great as well uh th- this guy is twisted fate he was one of the very few twisted fate players in the world earlier this year that was kind of to be on the nose his wild card pick that got them really far and and caused some you know pretty significant upsets now that's been buffed so uh kt has been the kind of front to back hyper carry team fighter throughout the last couple of years of his play. And we can say, okay, he's not the best AD carry, but he doesn't have to be. And Cuz, frankly, has looked really comfortable on Viego and Sejuani. The problem is, it's like the sus thing about this team, Thorin, is that I don't fully trust that Cuz's very good performance is going to continue. I find it difficult to believe that he's going to continue playing so at the level of a has shaky been. player, wasn't he? Yeah. So I think maybe it has been a bit streaky and he's been he's been Flipping heads quite a bit more than perhaps he should have, but I can hope that this is a, a new run of form. But at the same time, who are we comparing KT to? Right, um, Faker hasn't been as good this split so far as he was last split on Gen G. Doran has been quite bad, quite bad so far this split. Um, so there's clear weaknesses on some of the other top LCK rosters, and KT has just they've they've looked. Very complete as a team in the early stages of this of this event. I mean, and the
0: dream is that you just get these four teams as the four worlds teams. You just get Gen G, T1, D plus, and KT. If those are the <laughs> four teams and then we have four really strong LPL teams, this world's gonna be the best worlds ever.
1: Yeah, I, I hope that's true. I'm still worried about the Swiss. That's that scares me. I'll
0: do, I'm will do. i going to actually do a video on that soon because what I'll have to do is this. Here's what the problem I've realised. I'll have to simultaneously use like a Counter-Strike Major example to show how scuffed it can be. But I know fans won't get it unless I do this. I'm going to have to actually do like a, a dry run one with real teams so you know the teams I'm talking about and show you the nightmare scenarios that can happen. Because it's only once you realise the bad teams that can get through and the nightmare scenarios for the good teams where you lose two out of your three lives playing other top 40. Until you see that, you won't know why it's that bad because when you hear it Theoretically, it sounds all right. You think, oh, it's not bad. Or maybe it's even cool. You have like a, you don't know who you're playing. It's randomised. But once you see it, you'll just realise there'll always be one team gets mega fucked by it, basically. I think Lerp even ran the numbers once that if you used Swiss the way it used to be done in back in the day, that like even though eight teams get out if you have a 16-team field, mathematically, if the better team won every match, like you can still only get seven of the top eight can get out because of how it works or something and one bad team has to make it. So it's like... Because it's the sort of thing Tommy slash Lopez does, like you just fucking run numbers like that. So <laughs> it's just got flaws to it, boys. But at the same time, I did hate round robin, so whatever, I guess I'll take it for now. I just don't get it why we have other tournaments with best of threes and then fucking double limb? Why can't we just have that? But we can't. We can't have it. Uh, who
1: anything. knows? We're not, we're not allowed to have nice things, right? Oh. Uh, Riot, Riot decided that nice things are illegal, and so we can't have them. Uh, I, just to keep uh, people up to date, because the the, the we have we've been basically future-proofing ourselves by talking about how shit Swiss is because we know it's going to be shit in this one, especially because, as we've said a million times, we don't have real seeding because there aren't a bunch of international tournaments to seed teams around. And the international tournaments that we do have are so old and out of date in terms of patches and and recent performance that it doesn't make sense to seed off of MSI for Worlds. So why don't you explain to people, because again, we had some really weird shit happen in Swiss at the latest major. So... To get, to explain to people why Swiss sucks. What you know, happened? To, the explain simplest explain example, what happened to the latest major. <laughs> the
0: simplest example is this. Because you don't have real seeding. Valve does not allow seeding based on world rankings. They do seeding for real based on where you placed in the qualifier. Now, I, I, this is what we agreed upon for Flashpoint. We're only using group stages to to eliminate teams. We're not using it to actually like decide who's the best. And so basically, they used stupid stuff like a Swiss system in the RMR... If you came like third or fourth out of it, you didn't get a top seed. And in fact, there was something, I remember hearing this on Richard's stream, I didn't verify it, where even though Heroic was the number one team in the world and 3 0 their Swiss system, because there's two Swiss systems in Europe and then a bunch that were in the other regions, they ended up fifth seed at the major the number one team in the world that won every single match, end up fifth seed at the major. Like, that can happen. So here's how it can go. You get this every time you do the semi-randomized or bad seeding. What happens is you get two top four teams just play each other in the first match. So one of them is zero and one. That's one of the three tournament lives in a B01 gone just because you had to play a world-class team. Meanwhile, because of the way the wacky seeding works, there will always be, like... 10th team plays what would be in a real seeding the 13th team. And one of them gets to be 1-0. And so as a result, the bad teams, it's not, I don't have a problem with upsets if you are legit. But when it's an upset, like I play two bad teams to get two of my t- wins out of the three I need, and then I play one good team and, and happen to fluke a win, that's whack. So what happened is there were teams like, I'd have to go and look at the specific ones. Like I'll quickly look one up now, because I know there was a couple that played monster lineups. So I'll quickly look who did it. So in the Legends stage, you had, um, let's see, in the first round of the whole tournament, FaZe Clan played in Heroic, and those would have been off the top of my head, like number one seed in the world, number four seed in the world, but we didn't have seeding, like ranking rather. Number one versus number four played in the first match. G2 and Vitality... Also two of the top four teams in the world played in the first match. So two of those teams, two top four teams had to be 0-1 just from playing the other best teams in the world. Meanwhile, you had matches like Apex, who were nobodies, played into the breach who most people in Couch like had never even heard of and one of them got to be 1-0, and yeah, in the end both made the playoffs great, but part of the reason why was because they played wonky teams, and in fact, if you go look at the team that made the final, Gamer Legion, the only top team they beat was heroic in the semi-finals of the major, they went through the whole tournament bro. they were in the first Swiss system, They were 0-2 against bad teams, they got out of that playing middling teams and getting crazy luck with the draw, they got into the next phase didn't have to be anyone good again, like it was alright, I guess, to win over Nip, and then they made to the playoffs, all they did, look, they did a Raise the upset against the rock, but that was it. This can happen. So if you give the quick and I'll give the quick analogy is what I'll do in the video. Think about how Riot seeds, right? So you know for worlds, the number one seed from all four regions gets treated the same Monty. They treat the LCS seed as if they're the LPL seed. So imagine this in the Swiss system. Imagine, because you're going to use the pool system again. Imagine that the seeding goes, Cloud9 could play number four team from LCK. That's a nightmare for Cloud9, but I'm a number one seed. Or they could play like someone from fucking Vietnam. And so now Cloud9 gets a 1-0 easy, easy. Now, <laughs> yep. if you're, let's say G wins Korea or T1, not say Gen.G, say G's number one seed. What if they play like number three seed or number four seed from LPL? That's really fucking hard. I'm the one team, but I've had a game I might lose there. So I might be 0-1 because I played one of the better teams. So the problem with it is it's so scoffed. Then you have the scenario where it's like, what happens in the next round when a bunch of these games, what happens if KT plays against fucking G2? Uh, that's a bad one, I guess. Oh, that could happen. G- KT against G2. And then in this scenario, say G2 can win. That might be a game they might be able to win in be a 1. Let's say KT loses and G loses their game against number four of number three seed from LPL. Now KT plays G in the 0-2 match. Zero one match rather. One of them's gonna be zero two after only playing legit teams. <laughs> you see what I mean? Meanwhile, yep. the cloud nines of the world could keep fluking it. They could be a team like the number, the number fucking, I mean, the EU team could obviously play a bomb team and then they're in the one-zero match. And suddenly Cloud Nines 2-0. Two, two of their two two out of the three ways to the get out the group. I'm not sure how many there's going to be in this one. Meanwhile, they never played a top team. So what it's going to mean is like, it's actually going to make it less special to make playoffs in some ways. Cause if you've never seen the Swissisms at the major, there are always one or two crazy fluke teams that get to a playoff. And there's always one or two top, top teams just get this crazy nightmare run of murderers row of teams that you can't beat.
1: Yeah. And also it just made for a really uncompelling uh, kind of audience draw for the major finals, because nobody knows who gamer Legion is. You know, they don't they're 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 not a team that has historically been dominant in Counter-Strike. They don't have players that really are that famous or superstar level. And by the time they got to the finals, Vitality just kind of clapped them. Um, so, I mean, if you're watching that first map and Vitality is completely dominating them in front of what was a home crowd in Paris, like it's not going to make you stick around potentially to watch
0: the entire event. So it's an was, obvious it, question I have rather but... underwhelming. Here's a take, but I can't remember what year I made it in, but it's aged so well, Monty. I always said that take of you can't have teams from the same region in the same group was always so shit. Because what it meant was you just got these crazy and groups because of the seeding. So Europe or NA could get a fluke and not have one of China or Korea in their group, which made an easier group. But the other reason why it sucked is because what Riot wanted to do with their egalitarian seeding was do the actual, I think, is the lie of egalitarianism. You assume everyone can be as good as everyone. But the reality always is they're not as good as everyone. And this is competition. So what they did, Monty, was for the sake, for 10 years of flexing how fucking egalitarian they are, they wasted world championships. And for what? Was it so that every region could be built up and finally it would make sense to have the egalitarian? No, no, they just bailed out at the end of the end. 10 years later, they went, actually, you know, that whole thing we were building up, but they never made it. So we scrapped the whole thing. And now it's just a giant group where now it's the opposite. Now you can just run into people all fucking day long because I don't think they like stop regions meeting in this one, right? I'm assuming not.
1: Um, I w- don't know if we have the details on. Because I feel the, like it I think just
0: scoff the Swiss system too much. If there you is did.
1: there is some details about the the actual seeding of the Swiss tournament. I'd have to go into the rule books right now. No, um, whatever. it's not a big deal. I'm not going to do it. But it, it doesn't, guys, here's the reason. It doesn't matter because we can't get proper seeding anyway because of the way that League of Legends works. So it doesn't really matter how they're going to seed it because there is no way to seed it, is is the point. So yes. it, I, they may have put some rails in when it comes to regions facing off against each other. But in best of ones, I don't really think that makes a lot of sense because you're kind of just one and done with that result at that point in time and you're setting up another one,
0: so. The thing I don't get as well as this, Monty, I'll tell you the thing that right now kills me when people say that thing out loud. Well, it would be unfair and biased to seed the teams, Monty, because we can't know how good they are playing against each other. Here's the thing, though. We can guess, right? We can guess. There's no one actually would have fucking number three seed from NA as good as the number three seed from LPL. No one would. No one would be as ridiculous as that. So what would happen is this, Monty, even if me and you can argue, should this team be eighth or tenth, we would never fuck up and have them... Fourth, That's what happens with the kind of scoff seeding we have. And the reason why that actually sucks, if you do that approach also, let me think where I was going with this, is they've already at MSI proven they are biased and will do things that aren't actually traditionally in the rules because they had a final that did not have a bracket reset. That is an artificial introduction that is not how double a limb works. Now, I agree with it. I don't want to have to have an extra match. It would scuff the whole thing. But you've already chosen there to be biased. You're saying, I don't really care that you haven't lost a tournament life. In the final, there is no tournament lives, and you just have to play. And if the other team wins from the lower bracket, if BLG had won, tough shit, JDG, they get to lose one more time. That's fine to me because you're like a human stepping in and going, look, I can see the system has some flaws to it so I'm going to remove one even if it's biased so do the same thing for worlds like I would genuinely say there's two approaches you could take you can either do in Counter-Strike where the teams collectively seed each other they're the ones playing each other in scrims and in theory if you don't know the genius move SL did but actually got taken out of Counter-Strike was you seed each other or each team says from 1 to 15 where the other teams should place and the rule was if yours is too is too much of an outlier compared to the other teams it's just removed so if you try to scuff it and go lol I'm gonna put c9 bottom then your vote doesn't even get to count now actually c9 will be higher because of your stupid thing so one that would be decent it would at least get them roughly where you might get them and then secondly the other one is and I don't even care that people might think this is outrageous I would actually for real I know I know I here's the problem in league league is the game I think will be the worst for this but it's still better than the current system get together two or three experts from each region sit them in a room and have them argue it out and make a seeding aggregate. Now, the reason I say in league I think it would be bad is because almost certainly the Korean ones will be biased as hell and the Chinese ones will be biased as hell, and I don't know how fair any region would be, but at least that is better than the current system. Because as I say, it is so stupid in a world with four LCK and four LPL to treat number one team from LCS as if they're better than fucking six of those teams. It's just patently stupid at this point in time. We've seen too much League of Legends. It's so silly.
1: I mean, I, I think the problem, the the additional problem with League is that you just don't have, there are too many games, so it's really hard for people to accurately rank the teams. I mean, there are very few people in the world you could actually trust to do this, and it, those people are like, probably Kdrl, LS Dom, you know, the major co-streamers yep. because we know they're watching all the games. And I hate to say it, but I don't trust that a lot of these casters are watching the other games because I listen to their commentary at international events. And it makes me question whether they've actually seen a lot of these games, right? Like I had to suffer through people telling me that Doran is an amazing Gragas player because he had two pop off Gragas games in the finals. But that wasn't really reflective of his performance over, I don't know, this year or his career. Um and so there's insane bias to like the high stakes games that happen. And even the player, the people who I think are the biggest experts, Riot's never going to use them because only one of them is an actual caster for Riot, right? And so they'd have to pay LS and Dom to do some sort of ranking but even these people are not going to see all of the major games in the world like I watch a ton of games but I only watch the good LPL games I'm not in there in like you know the weeds like Dom is and likewise for Dom he's not watching all of the kind of garbage LCK games that I have a tendency to watch because I'm doing that show with Wolf and I need to talk about those teams and I just have a, a more I you know it's easier to get a hold on LCK because there are fewer games uh, basically and there's fewer teams right um, but it's really hard to cover both Asian regions if you're also watching Western regions. And so, therefore, no one is really able to be the expert necessary to rank these teams.
0: And I'll no, give you a last angle. This is where, unfortunately, positive reinforcement will fuck people's brains. The reason why I can tell you right now I do not believe they will change this system, Monty, is because you won't believe this. It's such an insane fluke that had nothing to do with Riot. But in Valorant, they have actually locked into their dream, and all the regions are producing teams that can win the championship. That is real. Even Pacific region, which was supposed to be the weakest one, has topped it. So the fucked up thing is that United Colours of Benetton approach in Valorant has worked. And so because of It's worked at the last couple of events. They're going to think it did work, but it's actually one of the worst approaches because as I say, I've always said this, if everyone is good, then no one is good. Then Then there isn't seeding, is there? Everyone's just equal. Whereas the whole point of seeding is you just want to make it so that it's not, like I said before, we're not people miss this all the time, they think but what you're doing is taking the best team and they just have to play a bad team, and what about the bad team no, no, what we're saying is this it's stupid that the best team could play the third, could play like the fifth best team, and then the third best team, and then potentially the second best team, and go out to the tournament 0-3, that is so silly, meanwhile there is a team that could be like fucking 8th, go to like 5th, go to 13th and win the, and get through 3-0 those are just, obviously what is more unfair to a better team, and so I just want a world where that's eliminated. I don't think it can happen in League, though. As we said, there's too, ma- there's too many logistics that make it feel like... The- they- and also, spoiler, they aren't even having this convoy Riot HQ. They- if you played this, they'd think this was in Chinese. They wouldn't have any clue what we're talking about right now, mate. They aren't even thinking I, I, about these things. I don't think they care at all, mate.
1: I, it, it's just It is mind-blowing to me that they would look at the Counter-Strike Major and think that this is the format that we need to copy. That's how I know people looking at their
0: grass is always greener because I told you, Monty, it was only a couple of years ago that stupid CS GoPros who live on the dream circuit, by the way, where you win tons of prize money, you have quite a good salary, you travel the world, but then go home to your family, your girlfriend and your best friends in your home city for weeks and weeks of each month. They were the ones saying, you know, we really need an LCS type league. You can motherfuckers, they are all just looking, at the grass is always green and they can't get it. Meanwhile, like, spoiler, go talk to some of my mates who played in LCS for eight years. They'll tell you what it's like. If you're in a bad team, it's like being in prison. Your sentence never ends. You get to go home for like a month. You meet that friend and he's just like, oh, how are you doing? I've only sort of seen you three times in the last five years. Like, it's fucking shit. <laughs> Meanwhile, like, for real, the best player in the world, go, well, I mean, sadly, when it was simple, obviously he couldn't go to Ukraine, but like, Zewu can just go home to France and see his family and see his mom, and see his friends from home meet him on the weekend then the next week fly out and go to the next event like that is so OP so to me it's always people always only look at the good part when they look at the grass is always greener concept they don't realise that like it comes with negatives so the joke is I actually want the MSI format for the CSGO majors and I want to get rid of Swiss completely but then I also want to take the CSGO circuit and get rid of the leagues in league and put them over there and so no one has the ideal circuit at the moment I mean maybe Dota does to some degree but it has its own flaws too
1: yeah no the whole the whole thing's the whole thing's really rough and i i'm not sure there's a way to fix it outside of just changing the format to from like you can literally just do what you did with msi at worlds Right, we could literally just have a very, very similar format with GSL groups for play ins into a double elimination bracket. I mean, that would be banging me. It's, it's the, the best great.
0: scenario possible. Because, as I said on that one, I know because Dom and them are trained to watch the single elimination national tournaments, they overreacted to that upper bracket. I told you guys, because the lower bracket was going to fix it all. In the lower bracket, you did get to have BLG against Genji and T1, and that, yeah, it all worked out at the end. <laughs> I mean, we didn't get the uh, repeat. Korean team versus JDG, but whatever, you can't have it all. Sometimes your gout just ruins your dreams. I used to be a fan of top esports, so I know that. <laughs> Shout out your gout in all those for the finals. And Jackie Luff, he did his fucking fair share too. He was carrying his own weight, certainly.
1: Uh, all right. Uh, any, other, any other topics on your mind from the, the major leagues right now?
0: Is there anything else big going on? I would you just say in general, as much, all the as, major leagues. as much as the quality of the league is shit at the beginning, I just love the LEC format, mate. Like, it's so cool, even when I think it's scoffed to be like, well, it's only two more weeks, then we get the groups, so it's BO3s, I'll start to see how good they are, then I go into the BO5s with a double a limb. I actually think the LEC format is the future, mate. I hope they can port that to a bunch of regions.
1: It, it also just makes the stakes so high for yep. the last week of competition because it, it's really hard to be completely out of it by the yep. last week or completely guaranteed. Yes. So it, again, I'm not a fan of playing three different teams and best of ones in a three-day period. I think that's a lot to ask of a team and introduces variance. but I can't deny that having just the single round Robin does increase the stakes and makes matches very, very meaningful to who's going to get into the top eight. And I don't mind the high variance when eight out of 10 teams go to the next phase. It, that doesn't seem too punishing. Like if you can't get into top eight, I'm not going to shed tears for you that you were not able to to play some best of threes, right? Um, 80% 80 of the league moving on. You really have to be pretty garbage, like definitively garbage to fall out uh, at that stage. So not too bad. Um, It's not like what we see in the LCS where they get 80% of their teams into playoffs after playing twice the amount of games. And especially most of the time, they're not even, you know, playing three games in one week unless the players walk out and shorten their own season. Um, so yeah, I I am excited about the LEC format in some ways though. It kind of makes the LEC not, I guess, the most compelling viewership for the first couple of weeks of competition, but still,
0: that's the LCS the whole way. (laughs) <laughs> so, exactly, as, yeah. as i said i can accept the compromise because as you said money it's only the bottom two get eliminated so you have to be pretty bad not to make it and you just think only two more weeks if you're in the lcs it's like ha, ha, only eight more weeks ha, ha, eight more weeks <laughs> and daddy's coming out like fucking instrumental, mental mate it's so it's so <laughs> outrageous I,
1: I do like the fact that the lcs is the regular season's only going to be six weeks this time around. And then they're going to move directly into the playoffs, which is their crazy eight team double elimination bracket. Elimination by the way, every I
0: mean, split that we can get a fucking shorter <laughs> split. Nice one. Yeah. Do it again. Uh,
1: by the way, this, this time around the, the playoffs for LCS are going to be like a month long. And so we are going to see a, the playoffs be almost as
0: long as the actual split itself. Also remember guys, cause I know everyone's going to keep forgetting it. Remember, At the end of the two playoffs of LEC and LCS, there's an international show off for the fourth seed for Worlds.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's true. That's the best
0: playoff. That's going to be fucking amazing. That was a very good change that they made. Like, remember, that could actually for real be someone like fucking BDS or Vitality against like Golden Guardians or something. That could be a fucking really fun game before we go to Worlds.
1: Yeah. I'm curious where, like, I, uh, is it going to be in Korea?
0: I can't remember I where they said it was. I, I, you could have a look. For no, those. I think they
1: said it was going to be in Europe. I think they I think okay. they said it alternates every year, and it's going to be in Europe this year and, like, North America next year.
0: But okay.
1: that's going to be pretty hype. That's gonna be, it's going to be one of the two, um, one of the two locations, and they said it was going to alternate.
0: So, I mean, that's a good idea as well, because then automatically, if the region that's not in the where it's taking place loses, they have an extra way to cry. You have to give all the all the nephews and the fucking plebs their little their little fucking toys and rattles, don't you? Of course, they've got to give them <laughs> they've got to give them something to complain about.
1: Uh, um, yeah. So that's us looking forward. I think we covered a lot of the points across all the major leagues this week. Uh, we're really just looking forward I mean, obviously this coming week with, there's going to be some huge bangers in LPL and LCK with JDG versus top and uh, all the games between like D plus and T1 and KT uh, and Gen G. So we have the telecom war and just incredible games all week long. Also, LPL has some other bangers as well. Um, uh, coming up later this week, we also have Weibo versus BLG. So Saturday is going to be insanely stacked. Uh, for Asian League of Legends. Really, some good matches to catch up on and watch and discuss for next week. We are, guys, back in the swing of things across all of our content on the League of Legends channel. Right now, all our shows are back up, so Monty and Wolf, Power Spike, Summoning Insight, and Best M League Show are all either now released, if you're watching this, um, this week, so you guys can check it all out. Um, We are going to take a quick break, guys, and when we come back, we'll do
0: some viewer questions. Right, we're back to take viewer questions, which are, of course, sourced via our Discord. And members with a subscription can submit questions. So what you do is go to the last Free Nation Discord, sign up for a Discord subscription there. We get a nice revenue cut from it. You help support the channel. And in exchange for that, you can ask a question in the relevant channel and Monty will pass through them and select the ones that are appropriate to ask.
1: Uh, what, which is more likely to happen? Riot become a morally ethical company or double
0: lift using his brain before talking on camera? Uh, is, I mean, the joke there is, in theory, lift could do it. Like, here's the thing. He's not actually a totally stupid person. It's more to me, like, I think he has extremely bad impulse control. Like, I yes. actually think if he sort of, like just worked on that aspect a bit, he could probably come off a lot better. The problem with the Riot one is, I know we're just using that as like a joke, but like, that's a very serious point. The fact that they never ever fired anyone internally, no one even fell on their own sword, is a terrible precedent for what the company was then going to be like. Because it just said, the things we did, we don't actually think are that bad. It's like, I always mention about that story where Richard reported that behind the scenes, they told the LEC crew, that deal with Neon was totally fine, you just didn't message it the right way, and you you should actually have done what you did, which is just like schedule it a few days after Pride to that ends, so then people aren't mad and then do it differently. Like if you know those two details, what hope do you have for them as a company? Like for me, that oh, ship sailed. I just know they're evil, so whatever. It's good. It's all. Yeah, they reason. didn't.
1: They they didn't fire anybody, and then also when they had a chance to pick a new CEO, they didn't hire anybody from outside the company. They hired another one of the same old boys who knows where all the skeletons are buried, who had been with the company for a decade. Like. It, you're you're telling me you can't do some sort of global search that could yield a better CEO than somebody who was with the company in the early days when you didn't have the the billions of dollars that you have now it was slim pickings when in 2010 or whenever, when this guy was hired, you were banking on the future of this game that was far from sure. Now you can get anybody in the world to be CEO of your company. Excellent, excellent candidate. I refuse to believe that this internal candidate was the best one that they could
0: have gone with. Also, so. I said this in the past, but I'll say it again. I actually really liked Doublelift when Kelby was the puppet master, when Lena is the puppet master. I'm not really a big fan. Mm -hmm. Why blame the puppets? The fucking puppet master that's making it move and talk, (laughs) mate.
1: Is banter good for the soul? What difference does it make for people you do or don't have camaraderie with? Of course it's good.
0: I mean, you know, one of the sickest things about the modern age is all the political correctness has hurt the very people that needed like off color jokes and naughty jokes and little like inappropriate jokes. The most like that, the people who do those jokes are people who work in hospitals where people die, people who are at war seeing death every day, people who do the shittest job where you just go for nine hours, you're at an assembly line, like welding something and you can fuck your arm up. They're the people who do stuff. Like if one of them's from, like fucking Jamaica, and the other one's from like, I mean, pick any random, but China, then the one from Jamaica's making like stupid, inappropriate jokes about the China guy's background, and the other one makes that, and it's just Raz. you're just fucking giving each other a bit of banter, and in fact, I remember there's a story Alan Moore told, where one of his few jobs he had, when he was expelled from high school for selling LSD, because he was just like the ultimate, like, fucking delinquent kid, basically, he was like smart, but he couldn't handle authority, was he had to go, because he was from a poor background, and work in a place where you've just chopped up pigs, and you're did stuff like took their organs out that was his job at like 16 so he told me the only moment and like brief like moment of like light within that dark environment was you would do stuff like turn to your mate who stood next to you and throw like a pig's testicle at him or something just to fuck with him and that would sort of make you like oh fuck off stop doing that i'm busy and that was the only thing that would raise a bit of levity so to me that's what banter does like if people haven't noticed it's actually a concept from the occult if people don't know laughter is a form of banishment because when you're laughing at something there's a levity to it there's a lightness to it that means you can't be weighed down in the darker thoughts that's why like the notion is you la- like there's a famous saying that says like a fucking a child's laughter is like like, like banishes the devil or something you know if you were the devil the last thing you want to hear is someone like an innocent soul genuinely enjoying its life that would be torture to you that would be nails on a chalkboard so to me banter's actually essential I actually think without going into a deeper angle on it that's why the whole agenda now is to shut it down because when you can't banter you also then you'll notice can't do things like satirically point out fucked up things about the world you can't speak truth to power by being the jester and saying the thing where it's like oh he's just joking or is he because the best thing about the comedian is they can say something like a joke and you laugh and you realize wait a minute that's just true though like he's actually fucking nailed that so I actually think that it's it's actually an essential part of being human
1: yeah and I I also think that it helps you know uh, it makes a, your relationship safer in a lot of ways if you're able to laugh about yourself if somebody's making fun of you and cements friendships in in many ways and I think it is absolutely important uh, I think it's absolutely vital. What, here's an interesting one. What do you guys think of the recent news between the PGA and Live? Uh, for those of you who don't
0: know, it's just Saudi uh, shit as far as it all right.
1: So Liv started a competing kind of golf league to the PGA and spent, because they can outspend anybody, with the same sovereign wealth fund that bought uh, ESL and Faceit. They really put a crunch onto PGA by trying to get some of the best golfers in the world to commit to their circuit and exclusivity. Um, A lot of golfers and personalities decided to go with the PGA because they, they sacrificed revenue because they didn't want to necessarily go to Liv. Um, So the question is, it seems like there are many golfers who sacrificed hundreds of millions in potential revenue by staying with the PGA out of loyalty to only have the PGA turn around and express its intent to sell. So what happened as I understand it uh, from reading about this, is that the PGA didn't have a lot of choice because the Saudis could basically spend an unlimited amount of money to bury them. And PGA already didn't have the best margins when it came to business. So at the end of the day, Basically, there wasn't a choice. They were going to be destroyed by Liv, or they were going to have to join them. And the only way to maintain some of their kind of identity and potential control would be to merge with Liv. Otherwise, they would lose 100% of their control, right? And so I think it was just a really unfortunate decision that they had to make. But that just goes to show what. The, the amount of power and the amount of money that can be thrown around by the Saudi sovereign wealth fund right now. It's its really hard to compete when they don't care about losing money.
0: The problem I have with this topic is I only care about it, like you're saying, from the angle of like, will it give good competition? Does it destroy that? I hope, I really hope the person asking is in no way in making any kind of moral judgment because spoiler, you watch a game owned by the fucking... China the country China meanwhile in CS:GO we watch tournaments run by Saudi Arabia so like we're in none of us are in any position to yeah. cast moralist version like with Jorkies, we're just ahead of them we're just ahead of them on that one
1: <laughs> I mean like I've said I've consulted for the ESL Faceit group entity post Saudi merger so you know I've I've done that as well uh, for casters talent looking for career growth opportunities do you think that more traditional sports would be a good avenue for them to explore and if so are there any casters who you think would be secu- uh, well suited to a particular sport based on their skill set for example what if similar cast an f1 race well Saticist famously uh was interested in moving into formula one as kind of a career end game he and did the online
0: stuff a few times i think like the G yeah race, i mean, he's phenomenally he talented, talented.
1: Look, I think right now the problem with casting traditional sports is I actually think that esports casters, on average, are oh, more better, skilled than sports casters. Yes. I think that because of the nature of esports, in that we are expected, we have a lot less production. Uh, so the burden is on us individually to be more knowledgeable and entertaining. Whereas Everything's kind of scripted out by highly polished productions within professional sports, especially American professional sports. And I think the problem is, too, is that the casters know where all the bodies are buried over multi-decade careers at some of these, um, at some of these broadcasters. And so it's virtually impossible to remove them. If you look right now, Joe Buck started, he casted his first NFL game at 26 years old. There are zero casters in their 20s. I I think there may not be very many outside of some professional players who have retired in their 30s uh, who are casters at the moment. The casting, at least in American sports, is ancient. I mean, these casters are very, very old right now. And I think it's actually a mistake that the networks are not aggressively pursuing younger casters. So one of the things that I would consider doing if I was, say, baseball that has a problem with getting younger viewers is, say, who, like, what style of commentary are younger viewers attracted to? And maybe I would take a flyer on some esports casters to learn baseball and have them kind of inject their personalities into the game. I mean, I think that that might be a good way to, uh, to, do, to do things. So,
0: I'll give you a few parallels, and since they wanted specific names. Like for Semler, I would have him do Mixed Martial Arts slash the UFC, because one, he is actually, he yep. actually does it in his part-time, he does Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, and then two, Semler's whole style, which I think works really well as the play-by-play in UFC, is he's about fucking hype, and he's about getting it into the game, but he's also, he's got a lot of technical skill people don't know. Like, he's not the guy that actually just, like, spams the same shit all over again or keeps it monitored. He knows, like, the up and down, he's a mega-experienced caster of people don't know. He's done many different games. So I think Semler would be good for that. For Sado, like you say, it's just obvious it just be Formula One. It's, his, it's actually his true passion over esports that people don't know. and he's just a mega technically skilled caster. I would put Pansy on almost any sport. I've always thought she's a mega multi-talent across games. She's just yeah. good. She's got a very likable voice, very likable personality. She can do small talk and chit-chat. She can do a little bit of analysis. She's just really good caster. I would have Anders do like football slash soccer, as in European football. I just think he's got like a mixture of the conversation style for the lower parts of the game and then the, for the big moments, Anders is also one of the best at making the iconic call, except unlike League of Legends he doesn't force it, he doesn't permanently go, I'm going to make the call now, he just lets the call happen and he's, he's got some of the best calls in history. Now the last one I had was, I would put Atlas from the LCK onto the NBA because I think this guy is also he's not only a multi, like a, a well-rounded talent, but he's so good at the hype shit like his team fight casting is some of the best for me, I think he just does a really good job and so if, one of the styles I like in the NBA is the like super hype style. If people know the old commentator, Kevin Harland, the one like right between the eyes. Like I think that's the shit. It's just fucking amazing. Because the thing about a sport like the NBA is I don't need you to describe it. I'm already seeing it. I want you to put the fucking exclamation point on it. That's what that sport is in my opinion.
1: Yeah, you want to be clever with your word choice as well. And your play-by-play commentary in Atlas is certainly quite fluid and clever. Oh, he's got
0: so I many agree. clever little puns and word players. Yeah, I appreciate it.
1: I I just don't understand why I, it, what's so crazy to me Thorin is that even the rising talent sports pundits so let's take Mina Kimes for example who you know I know from her time working in esports when she was like writing that article on Faker for ESPN magazine and she was like hanging out in Korea with me way before she became as famous as she is right now and she's done some preseason coverage for the NFL but if she's an of like if if she is a famous ESPN pundit right now that they are really pushing and they have her on all those ESPN shows why don't they put her on Monday night football like this is what i don't understand she is actually younger like has a very different vibe is funny is clever knows the game like if they can't put her on they're certainly not going to hire any esports casters but i do think that in general Esports casters. And I can tell you from here's here's another thing, guys. I can tell you from my experience of working with people from professional sports. I had a producer of the Super Bowl give me and Doa feedback on our casting from Overwatch League, and he was astounded by how good we were. He was like, you guys don't even have production. You guys are crushing it. He had virtually no negative feedback for us. Uh, So I know that these people really admire our skill sets, and I wish they would take more flyers on some. Uh, esports people to try and move them into t- traditional sports,
0: but I'll they will just never take I'll just take the abstract and agree with it, because I despise Mina Kimes. I actually think she is <laughs> fucking pathetic. <laughs> All she does, if anyone criticizes her, is say it's misogyny or racism. For real, you can look this up. She's even accused famous people who said that her take was wrong of that. And also, her takes on the NFL are fucking Reddit nephew tear shit. You can just go and look. She really is the bozo mate that's still on that shit of like, she hasn't even got a ring. Like he, he has a three and four record in the play. It's like, what are you talking about? This is like playground shit. So I despise her, man. I don't care that she's a bit yours or you met a wall. I don't give a fuck. I'm who I am. Don't give a fuck.
1: Give <laughs> I a think fuck. I think she has good on-camera presence. And i just my point is that if they're not going to give her a shot when they're giving her a million shots at everything right now, then what what would it take to get somebody who's under the age of 40 on a, a sports broadcast? You know what I mean?
0: They just have to be a woman, be Asian, and then just be willing to fucking do do what she does, apparently. So there you go. Is there any any women Asians that can go on the thing? By that logic, Pansy can do it. There you go. She's not Asian, but European. That's enough. That's weird enough for Americans.
1: I I think that they should bring some more younger people onto these broadcasts, and I think esports would be a good place to start. Uh, What is the worst book you have ever read? Ooh.
0: It's going to be... Oh, no, wait a second. I actually think I could probably guess this. Let me think. Because it probably is actually Dan Brown, The Da Vinci Code. Because one, I had already read Holy Blood, Holy Grail, the book he completely plagiarized and just made a mass market airport paperback out of. And secondly, this is the joke. It was the joke back then that comedians said, but they are so right, they nailed it. Dan Brown wrote, because he's such a terrible writer, writing for YQ Cretins. He wrote as if it was a movie. It really, like a, I think it's like a Doug Stanhope bit like this or something. He really does write as if as if it's just like and then Tom Hanks. Sorry, the main character went like what? There's this painting has moved. Yes, if the painting like it's like the more it's so the exposition is so childlike. It's just shit, mate. The dialogue is terrible. Like I remember reading it and just being like this is like one of the biggest books in the world. Like it's one of those ones that just makes you think like simultaneously, like what, what the fuck is humanity going to be? But then what Too, I'm basically like an ascended master compared to these fuckers if they're into this shit. So I've read many bad books, Monty, You have in general been able to stay clear. I have never read Twilight or any of that shit, but that was an atrocious book. I thought it was just shit.
1: Yeah. I, I would just generally just stop reading a book if I thought it was bad. So it has to be a book that I was forced to read for my, Literature education, probably. Let me think for a second.
0: Oh, well, quickly say there was also a, there was one other book which is once I read a, I read a bunch of really good sports biographies where they had like a professional writer write it, and then I read like a British football player that was a legend who just wrote his own biography, and it really was like it was like you know like a little kid does like a, a an assignment. It was almost like and then I grew up and I was seven and I did like my friend and then we scored goals together and then I was eight and when I was eight I went to school and you're like. Holy shit! Is this the book? Like, I remember skipping through and going, "You know what? Why have I picked somebody who just kicks a ball into a net to re- to tell me a story in a book like that?" That was like one of the more. I, I'd almost deleted that from my brain to he asked that question. So fair play. The biography I think Robbie Fowler it was fucking shit. It was absolutely <laughs> atrocious.
1: Uh, I, I here is a deep cut for you guys. Um, there was a very bad period of English literature that was uh, kind of these like incredibly shitty Gothic books that took place in like the late 1700s and early 1800s that were like, Ooh, really spicy and scandalous at the time. So one of the famous books is a book called the monk, which is kind of like the, it's, it's like a soap opera, moral corruption of this monk character, um, you know, with a relationship with a female demon and like, it's ridiculous and completely shit. Um, but it, it is like a a soap opera of that period. And a lot of those Gothic Gothic novels are just absolute trash garbage. Um, they're like really badly written shock fiction, (laughs) uh, really bad. Uh, let's see here in, in an interview, I think reflections perks mentioned he had offers from some Korean teams after the G2 super teams. Do you ever think we will see a Western player in LCK in the future? Probably not. No, I don't know the why they would is, do that.
0: They only give it to the biggest names and because the biggest name can already get into the, among the best western teams they're just not interested in doing it. You have to remember this is a bit like what I experienced with Richard. Because Richard never cared about Korean StarCraft. He didn't care about League of Legends particularly. To him, Korea isn't the mecca of eSports. He doesn't care about going there. To him, it's just some weird curiosity. Maybe he'd go like once on a holiday, but he doesn't want to live there. It's the same. Like Doublelift can say all he wants. I don't think Doublelift should ever leave America. I don't think he could live outside of that space, mate. He has to live in the American culture bubble. Mate, I thought Bjergsen could have done it just because how he stuck it out in TSM all those years. But obviously, he wasn't interested. I just don't think anyone's going to do it, mate. I also, by the way, don't think they'd be able to hack it. I think they would mentally break down if they play in LCK LPL. I think it'd be really st- stressful to play in that league.
1: Yeah, I think it, and it's just the integration with the team and the communication would be really difficult. So
0: the idea is un- makes me horny as fuck. I can't lie; it sounds hype as fuck, but I just don't think practically it's gonna happen.
1: Yeah, unless they already speak Korean, I don't think it's. I don't think it's gonna happen. Why do humble goats have the most cancerous fan bases like Messi, Curry, Faker, Federer, Tens, Reckless Nemesis? So like basically why do why do humble professional players who are very famous have very rabid fan bases?
0: I mean, I'll just say I personally don't think Messi even is that humble but Whatever, you've almost given yourself away there, question asking Some of the other ones are, like Federer's quite classy. He's still arrogant in his own way, but he's quite classy. He'll give it up to people he loses to. Because the problem is, it's not to do with the player. Almost any GOAT candidate, it's actually about nephews. Here's the thing, it used to be like annoying back in the day, but believe it or not when Michael Jordan was uh, around in the 90s, you could actually have all these takes, like someone could say, I thought Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was the greatest, I preferred Magic Johnson, what about Larry Bird? Well I thought Wiltshire, these were all legit takes, the problem with nephews, I've always made this point is they are the 16 year old kid who just found out about punk music and bought a Ramones t-shirt but they've only heard one and a half albums but because they have no identity and they're grasping for one, they make the fact that they like the Ramones everything, and therefore, to, to strengthen their own identity, everyone who likes anything not the Ramones or punk music is an idiot, a loser, and is wrong. So you'll notice every single argument among nephews about goats goes like this. My player is the obvious goat, it's not disputable, end of conversation. That's how you know they're an idiot. There's that famous saying, like, wise men argue cases, fools decide them. I've always said, I don't think any sport even ice hockey I don't care who that makes mad I don't think any sport actually has an undisputed goat because for example in all sports there's different roles as well isn't there there's different positions like I'll give you an example here's one I'd throw right out there now so okay in theory goal scorer and passer like Gwetski is the best position in hockey right I'll tell you what if you've ever seen him play Dominic Hasek the fucking goalkeeper was unbelievable supposedly in practice for real he could just have whole sessions where no one ever scored against him that's how nuts this guy was so you put him on the Team, who the fuck knows what it does to the sport? Maybe you just have teams where it doesn't matter how good the player is. So, to me, I prefer to argue the cases. I prefer to hear your reasons why. To me, you're just looking for a second dad when you go. This guy a six rings, so you can't even debate it. Or you are a hater. It's like you're the hater, bro. You hate discussion. Well, it's also interesting to see how
1: that kind of identity formation has changed over time. So, for example, Thorin, when when you and I were growing up musical genre informed a lot of teenage identity, whether you were oh. into metal or a punk or you were a jet and grew up with grunge and, you know, alternative rock. And so high school was almost, you know, a lot of high school was divided by clicks that were about musical song selection. But basically it was because it was a way to be edgy, right? That's when punk yep. was edgy or when grunge was edgy or when metal was edgy. Um, Or rave culture, for example, right? But nobody gives a shit about there. Like, liking genres of music is no longer edgy because we all grew up with those genres of music and we realized it wasn't devil worship or going to corrupt the youth or whatever bullshit people thought at the time. So people have had to find a new kind of way to attach their identities to things. And it has become... Like things like, I guess K-pop is music, but it's more of a subculture or streamers that you like, right? Or um, kind of like social media personalities is the way that people do it these days. So I think a lot of those more like identity-seeking young individuals are attaching themselves to streamers or famous esports players and then viciously defending them instead of, uh, you know, the Ramones, to your example.
0: The bad thing. thing is about that, no matter what you think of great bands, etc., you can have different genres you like, but these streamers are the most low IQ morons I've ever seen, mate. Like, I will admit, I haven't watched whatever the best of their content is. I mainly saw a lot of them through the lens of that walkout thing. The Ludwig guy, the most critical guy, these guys are fucking knuckle draggers. Hassan, <laughs> I already knew this guy was a cretin with some of the past things he said. These guys are so stupid, it's almost baffling how dumb they are. Like, their takes are dog shit. I get it, it's that you just love their personality and again they're your new replacement dad because your real dad is off doing some other fucking office job but fucking hell like the nephews are in so much trouble that's why in some ways what we do actually is like a fucking service act to the community isn't it we're trying to like elevate and make them aspire to more
1: yeah uh Uh, next question is, I bought a freeze pipe and gifted it my friend, even though I don't smoke. I bought Richard Substack, subbed to the Discord channel, bought Liquid IV. You guys are literally the highlight of my commute every week. Um, not trying to be a shill, but can you guys make merch so I can support you even more? Don't know what I would do on my long drives without you. Thanks again for the years of great content. Thank you very much for the nice message and your support. That really helps. Yes. Yeah, we do want to make merch. Um, We actually did uh, make merch and bring it to our San Francisco event and give it out uh, for free to to people at that event. Um, And but we do want to do merch. Uh, We want to do it in a quality that will be good and also figure out. I think our problem, too, is that we need to make sure we have international distribution for you guys because we need to at least cover North America and Europe simultaneously. And that is just, we've got bigger battles to fight, unfortunately, right now with the company and we will get there. We will get there. Here's the uh, thing.
0: Well, we good. have merch, though. Here's why our merch will be better than anyone else's. Because I already know for the ones I want to do what I want to do. Just like my articles, I'm going to get those dope ass fucking community artists that I've worked with. And I'm just going to, like the Rin Hallward and fucking the f- f- Nicolas Ch- Choiseul, the guy, the French guy. I'm just going to oh, get yeah. those guys and I'm going to have them and a tantalus. They're, they're going to make the fucking artwork. It'll be our concept. They'll do the design and they'll get a cut of the profits too. I want it to be like that. I think it'd be dope.
1: Yep. Yeah, we do need to... That's just a massive project, guys. And one that, you know, we need to make sure that the core business of the company is humming along and then we can start to tackle some of these more complicated... All I'm saying is,
0: any Twitch primes in the chat for us? (laughs) There you go. Any?
1: To tack on to the above, any update on my request for elephant shot glasses to proudly toast eSports Delenda Est? That would be a, a, a great... Shot glass. Yeah, there you go. I, that's a good. That's I a good mean, idea. Like gothic
0: script or something around
1: that. <laughs> uh, with VCD masters happening in Japan, a predominantly console FGC leaning country, how big is it that they have ad- adopted Valorant as artists? As they have. Well, it's not that weird when you consider that PC gaming has been on the rise in Japan, and uh, Apex uh, Legends has also been really big in Japan. They have one of the largest player bases um, as it stands. So, yeah, I think that we are just seeing a shift towards more PC FPS play in Japan in general. So I don't think it's that surprising that Valorant, as a newer FPS, has has found success there. One, shout out to the
0: primes in the chat. And then two, oh, nice. also, I will say, there's an episode we did with Nymere, it might even have been his first ever one if you go back to like last year or two, it was 2021 I think, when we did that episode with Nymere, he talked about this a little bit, because basically the old scenario in Japan used to be something crazy, like you couldn't win money from playing tournaments, because that was considered like, almost like what you'd won from gambling or something weird, and so they couldn't really have a true pro scene, in fact, I think back then they would do silly things like, you'd win the arcade machine if you won like the Street Fighter competition or or a PC or something weird. So as far as I know, they've lifted that and like released some of the restraints because they're a very conservative country. And now you can have pro gaming. And so the silliest thing of all time to me was like, Listen, I get that, like, Korea's this weird thing because it's a mixture of, like, it's like America props them up and then they've got the Asian aspect. But Japan always should have been some hardcore country. They always should have been in on games like Counter-Strike, League of Legends. You always you would have thought they'd have been going crazy because of the anime otaku culture, right? So to me, I think now they just, they're unleashed and they get a chance to play. So it's cool.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think we're just going to see more and more of it, too. It's just I think PCs have become more accessible in Japan, which was... Previously, like a console first culture. Yeah, they're also an arcade place as well. Yeah. 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 Okay. Well, also, thanks to Jerky's Minion for all those gifted subs. That's very nice of you. Uh, thanks for being such a great fan, as usual. Uh, who do you think were scrimming each other before the final week of MSI? I've heard the talk of the scrim meta early on in a tournament where teams are often scrimming people that are from their region, but on opposite sides of the bracket, but not during the later stages of the same tourney. So typically what happens is, especially for MSI, is that you have teams in that region that are actively scrimming, but who are not participating in MSI. So I I would imagine those scrim partners were just some of the LEC teams that were kicking around and trying to get extra practice during that period. They could have also not scrimmed. Um, Obviously, for Worlds, there usually are not scrims or very effective scrims during the final couple weeks of Worlds because most teams are just off, right? Um, In Asia, it usually is the best because there's usually some Asian teams that will continue scrimming through worlds that are no longer in the tournament or who never were at the tournament in the first place. But generally, the, the deeper you go in, into an international event, the less meaningful practice there is for teams. But it's better at MSI, typically, because the next split is coming up so soon. Um, and you also know that there's n- not going to be potentially a massive meta shift like they do... After worlds every year, so your, your practice might mean something. So I would imagine that they were not scrimming very much or it was just some random LEC teams. In order to make the meta more diverse, should Riot implement fearless draft in all competitions? No, guys, we don't know. It's good for up and coming teams it's not good for professional teams i don't think fearless draft is the way forward you are trying to solve a problem of bad game design by implementing competitive formats i think they should balance the game better um or as this person suggests rotating certain champions in and out at the beginning of each split you could do champion pools we've do- we've talked about that at length fearless draft we already have a problem in League of Legends, guys, where you can ban players' best champions so we never get to see them play their best champions. And so now now it gets limited even further where if we get to see a player on their best champion, they can't play it anymore. It's like It's like you guys hate watching the pinnacle of play because you want more champions. You want artificial diversity, right? No.
0: Think about this. No. Imagine a five-game series where the first four times... A top laner who only has four champions has played those four champions. And then as Monty says, for fifth game, we just banned whatever you had left. So now your top laner is playing like his eighth best champion. It's the fifth game, the most important game, the one that everyone's going to remember. Would that be a great game of League of Legends? It'd be inarguably a much shitter game of League of Legends, wouldn't it? (laughs) It's like you
1: guys want to watch Worst League. The problem comes from the balance, guys. It doesn't come from the professional players. I don't understand what this next question means, so maybe you can clarify this one Uh, user. It says, can you recall a time where you failed to coach or manipulate the answer you wanted from someone publicly or privately? I'm not sure what I'm supposed to get out of that.
0: I mean, it's, the problem with that is I think he actually means it just as in we're really good interviewers and we couldn't get something out of them. But he made it sound like we're pieces of shit. So I think we <laughs> <Exactly>. might just <laughs> that one. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, mean read, I don't. formulate it and ask it again. And I, it. I, I, I don't typically try and manipulate people's
1: answers. So because I'm well, actually curious what their honest answers are.
0: What they don't get is this. I research these people and know these people, so I sometimes know better than them what they want to say and I just try to help them. If they don't say it at the end of the day, that's up to them. Maybe they didn't really think that. Or, as is sadly often the case, which is annoying since you guys worship interviews, sometimes players privately tell me, A, and then publicly say, not A. And even if afterwards I go, but I thought you thought I do. I just wanted to say, not A. That's the fucking nightmare of being, this is why being a journalist, Richard Lewis always says this, it will drive you crazy feel at it because you've got the curse of Cassandra. You know what's happening. So you tell people, but you never believe till afterwards. And then afterwards, everyone memory holds it and says, they always thought that all along. They always knew the walkout <laughs> didn't make sense. And of course the LCS. And, all, and you're
1: a piece of shit at yeah. all times. And
0: also, yeah, you're just a piece of <laughs> shit at all times. In all scenarios, everything you do just makes you a piece of shit. You're not even Fun allowed talk. on a free bird app to block people. Otherwise you're a piece of shit. or oh, am they're obliged to be able to follow you and reply to you.
1: As a fan that wants my favorite esports orgs to actually earn money and for the whole industry to not die, what would you say is the best way to consistently support them and what gives them the biggest cut? Is it merch, subscribing on Twitch, or buying stuff from sponsors? If they have a code, buying stuff on sponsors is good. If it's just buying stuff from sponsors, there's no way to tie it to you uh, that you were supporting the team, so probably not the best way. Merchandise is often very good for teams. Rich Nice is often very
0: good. I mean, I would say there are some very simple free ones. Like you like the tweet, you leave a comment on the yep. YouTube video, you thumbs up. Yes. You retweet it if it's an awesome piece of content on Twitter. There's simple things that you can do too.
1: Yep. Honestly, like tweeting at the sponsors and telling them that you like yeah. that they're sponsoring it, they see that and they do put some amount of weight in that.
0: Yeah, they consider that organic fucking like feedback. So they will actually really appreciate that, especially if you do it in a way that obviously wasn't coordinated by the team and you're just doing it off your own account. Yeah. Uh,
1: After watching Thorne's latest thoughts on the coaching narratives that exist, what are some other existing ideas or narratives that you would really like to delete out of people's minds and which
0: non-existing slash
1: unpopular narratives would you like to see do well?
0: I'll basically give you the very quick premise the premise was that when everyone talks about how this draft is obviously moronic and stupid and why didn't they pick this and why did they pick this it's like my premise is from now on I'm taking the premise that top coaches aren't idiots Mackie is not an idiot Peter Don is not an idiot Young Buck is not an idiot so when I actually what, b- fucking reapered. so when they do a weird pick that I don't agree with I might not agree with it but I'm going to assume scrims informed that the players choices informed yep. that the meta in N. A. informed that so essentially that's like the baseline I was setting so I'm kind of like chopping away. So what are some that annoy you? Uh,
1: I, I mean, the classic one that we have to reset a double elimination bracket that, that annoys me. I agree with your one about coaching though, because you, you can never know, especially with coaching with picks, like they might actually just, have to pander to a player because if they don't do what the player wants, then the player tilts and ruins the game anyway. So you have to take like, um,
0: obviously.
1: Yeah. You have to use a suboptimal strategy because you realize that the optimal strategy is going to increase your chances of losing versus the suboptimal strategy. Like coaching is as much about people management as it is about getting really good strategic drafts. Right. Um, And trying to combat the emotions of your players. I would also say just a lot of the narratives that go around that where people pretend to your journalism point that we don't know what we're talking about if we say something we probably have additional information that is informing our opinions that perhaps you guys should kind of listen to and just take in trust when we're talking about player performance or attitudes or these kind of uh, things rather than the- rather the- than just yeah rather than yeah. just taking what the players say on social media as absolute gospel, as if they don't have a motivation to present themselves in a certain way that may be
0: entirely untrue. You know, maybe we know some things. <laughs> you know nemesis in the LEC anymore, innit? <laughs> who knew?
1: I am from the UK and I am visiting Korea this summer. Is it possible to attend the LCK as a foreigner? I mean, I see people in the audience 100%. who are foreigners. Um, I've read online that to get tickets on the Lowell Park website, you need a Korean social security number. I've never been to Lowell Park, guys. I've never been there. So I don't know. And if I were to go there, I would just talk to the casters who would get me in, who are friends of mine, right? So I would say, I don't know. I am the wrong person to ask. Why don't you tweet at Valdez, Chronicler, Wolf, and Atlas and say, how do I do this? Because I don't know. I've never done it. And I'm never going to have to do it. So... Uh, one of my favorite classic SI moments happened on the episode with Froggen where you're describing amazing versus Lulex jungle matchups as dogs humping in the park. What are your most favorite classic memorable moments from Summoning Insight?
0: I mean, the classic one's obviously the forgiven. You oh, either like so fucking funny. whatever you <laughs> either win or suck a cock or something. That was an interesting one. Certainly that was out there. Oh, there's obviously the one I referenced on the last episode with Edward where Monty basically had to learn the hard way that like some of the shit they were doing was like idiot savant shit in M5 and wasn't <laughs> actually genius, unfortunately, which look, it's it's prime fucking marking viewing, but it was pretty wild, wasn't it? I, don't
1: know. Oh, I mean, so and, many,
0: actually, so that, many you know, loca, loca moments. moments. The 200th episode when we found out that the Pringles sponsorship was fake all <laughs> along. That's pretty good. That was great. Oh, there's loads of Loco Doco ones. Like I even had one where I didn't get to bring it up to him on the show. But on the first episode we had with Loco Doco, there was that one where I can't remember what the fucking premise of it was. I can't remember what the initial joke came from. But it was that one where there was a name of a player in the game. And it was like somehow it was like, I think it was like, it was like maybe a Chinese player and in their name was like young. Because obviously, like in a lot of career, and I was like, Young, oh, like, yeah, like you with young girls, like all those girls that you're dating, local or whatever. And he got really shy because local was ridiculous for going for fangirls and also, and like the <laughs> makeup woman and stuff. And so, as a result, even though in the moment it was really funny, because obviously, he got all the. All I'll tell you is after the show, because he won't mind me saying this now, it's like fucking nine years later, he did after the show get a bit slightly annoyed and just say, like Look, you could like banter and stuff, but like, don't say things like that about me privately, though. Something like that, <laughs> which is like the most. Yeah, local could do that. So, every now and then, he just get really earnest. He'd, like, no, nah, but yellow field bad now, whatever. So that, that, that just <laughs> always makes me laugh when I think of it. Because I basically just straight roasted into his face.
1: <laughs> there was never a shot loco didn't shoot. No. Credit it to him. Yeah, he always true.
0: he always took his shot,
1: I, man. And, and even though I made <laughs> fun of
0: him on listen loco, by the way, you're all gonna think, yeah, he's just some skinny little nerd. He was mega successful at getting women, at least for at least initially. Dude, he has hooked up with so I many mean, and someone were dying pieces, I'm telling you. Yeah, he he did
1: take a shotgun approach. So, you know, it does increase success if you just take your but shot. He every definitely time. wasn't
0: a forever alone nerd though. Don't believe any of that shit. <laughs> <Yeah>. No way. <laughs> Actually, by the way, a really good person to have in your group if you want to go out on like a night on K- K-Town or something. He's the guy, he's one of those like social people you want in your group yeah. that knows everyone.
1: Sure, agreed.
0: What about some How other close moments? This? Let's do a couple more moments. Is there any more?
1: I mean I feel like those of the expeque episode was pretty funny in oh terms yeah, the of... one
0: where he was putting on like the fucking thing it wasn't Zoom back then, but he had that thing where he had like a pirate <laughs> yeah. mask on or some, some weird yeah, shit yeah, like that yeah, at one yeah, point. Yeah. Just random shit that was happening and that one was pretty funny. I also do um, think he, he missed it because he was talking about the one with Froggan. The one in the Froggan I... one where we talk about Hyde's style of roaming and Froggen's like it can't even comprehend it. Cause he's like, but you just lost 14 millions to go and get that way. Cause that's who frog it is. In many ways, it was the ultimate dissection of the two different diverging playing styles.
1: I think your description of Dyrus taking the last helicopter out of Vietnam is one of my favorite analogies. Good. you've made. <laughs>
2: okay.
1: How close are the current LPL ADCs to contend with Uzi for the goat title?
0: <laughs> I mean, the problem with that topic is you all already only because he won worlds allow Deft in that conversation. So, by the way, Uzi I hasn't even won the worlds. So I don't even know how your accomplishment ring counters even fucking calculate that one. By the way, but okay. So, to me, I think the greatest of all time are between Uzi. I, Deft and R- Ruler. These are the obvious ones at this point in time because of longevity, success, yeah. how excellent they were the metas. So I would, Ruler plays in the LPL. I actually think Ruler, by the way, is making a better and better case. Just, it, and by the way, he already won worlds on a fairly scoffed team. Like, I think he's, you can make a case for all three, in my opinion. They're all mega. Yeah.
1: And yeah, Ruler now also, um, you know, has the, the LPL title in his first split. So yep. it's interesting because all of the great ADCs that you mentioned have also played on the LPL now, which is fun.
0: And I'll say so. this as well. Even though he has his int moments, Jackie Loveman now might be underrated, mate. He is still, he, like, if you want to see someone who can show you the ultimate skill expression of that role, he's fucking amazing at that. He plays right on the edge. Yep. yep. Yeah, there you go.
1: Ah, uh, with Uzi returning, are there examples of elite esports players that took prolonged breaks from the game like Uzi and then came back and were just as nearly dominant as before they took the break? So there, he's asking for you, I guess, and e- as the esports historian, if there's a player that took a long break and came back and continued their
0: dominance, I don't think they dominated. There was people who came back and were good, but usually, that when you quit like that, you're just done forever. So I don't think anyone ever went like years like he did. Do, then, do we
1: count Flash going to StarCraft Two as a break from StarCraft
0: Brood War now that he's back in Brood War? I mean, the problem with that, it's not the same scene, though, is it? It's not like the MSL, OSL right. scene. And also StarCraft Two he was going hard as fuck, still in a pro team and stuff. That's the thing. When they say, like, take a break like that, I'd really struggle. Like, even in Counter-Strike, I don't think it's really happened before. Nah, I don't think so. I'm going to say no.
1: Because they said to be dominant. If you just said to be good again, it's happened a bunch of times, yeah. Have you successfully learned a foreign language? How did slash would you go about it? Well, uh, my French is okay. And I just learned French in high school and French is easy. And I also took Latin in college, which helps a lot with romance languages like French. Uh, Immersion, obviously, uh, very good for learning foreign languages. I can get around Korea just fine. I didn't have the time to really learn Korean partially because of the difficulty, but I would have to do I would have to really dedicate myself to taking like college classes. And I know some of the current LCK casters have done like the four hour daily Korean classes. I couldn't do that because I was running a team and doing some of the insight and, um, you know, coaching CLG. While I was in Korea and I was also casting five days a week. So it was really, really fucking hard for me to have half a day to go do that and still keep up with everything else in my work. Um, So I didn't take that opportunity when I had it, but I would just use, you know, if I were to go to Korea and have more time uh, or have been there longer doing those five days a week, three hours, three, four hours a day, plus being immersion really does help. Um, But the best way to do it is just to learn Korean like Wolf did, which is just by struggling through and dating. (laughs) That's how he became
0: fluent in Korean. I mean, I have never learned a foreign language. The joke would be I learned American, but actually that ruined me because now sometimes I even think to myself and say it in private company with no Americans present, elevator, garbage. I don't even say the real fucking words, which is actually criminal. (laughs) And I even tell people around me, please like correct me on that. I want to actually get back to speaking English. So that does- You started spelling without a U, it's a total disaster. (laughs) And then the other thing is, so since I haven't learned one fluently- just ignore this as like pro advice, but I would say from observing and doing, like uh, I've done, I can, I've done a little bit of languages. To me, the biggest thing you need to do is. Don't ever like try to do it like a mathematical equation where you're trying to be perfect. What you do is you just go, you talk as much as you can to people who speak that language, and you just use whatever words come to mind. And you don't you don't think. You just let because you don't think when you say something in English. You have the idea and the words come out. That's how you've got to do it. So even though you're gonna have a limited vocabulary initially, it's gonna be way better because you're gonna you're gonna find you're gonna know it, oh, like and you're gonna know how to say thank you and please and more. Do that automatically. And then the other thing is, don't ever be afraid to make a mistake because they're going to try to understand you. When someone comes to you and speaks in broken English, excuse me, I know car now here this time? Like, if you're in a parking lot and they're at the machine with a car, you can guess what they're saying. You don't go... That doesn't even make grammatical sense. What you're saying there, <laughs> I won't speak to you English. You not You try. You try to make the gap up. So people will do that for you, especially by the way, if you're in certain countries like Spain or something, they want. They think it's cool that you're trying to speak their language. France might be the rare exception because famously they actually are very arrogant to English people if they don't know French and you say a little bit and you say it wrong. That's just a cultural clash essentially. But I would just say that, like, don't be scared to try. Basically, you have to. It's like being a, it's starting to play Starcraft on the ladder. You're gonna be shit at the beginning. You got to grind a bit till you get good
1: yeah it it really is and also it's just a matter of like being willing to go out there and make mistakes uh that's how you learn languages so you just have to continue to practice even if you're not good at it favorite sports commentators
0: i just gave you one kevin harlan that was one um who else I always did think Marv Albert was very good. He's just the ultimate pro, isn't he? It's, and he's, he, can just, he can do that thing where he can fall in the shit game like no one else can. You could tell sometimes he didn't give a fuck about some of <laughs> these mediocre He's just a pro. If you, if you like British soccer, I do think that John Watson is one of the best of all time. He's a really fucking amazing commentator. He's one of my fans. Hmm, who else? Who, have you, who would you I, put in the mix?
1: Uh, I really like Al Michaels uh, for his... Girl flexibility across various different sports and his longevity. He's also just very funny. I think he has a very like dry sense of humor at times that I really enjoy. Uh, I, I know a lot of NFL fans don't like him, but I really love Chris Collinsworth. I think that his people don't like him because when like he him, he's when, good, uh, uh, so I So uh, people here's what people hate about him. They think he's like a Tom Brady or like a Patrick Mahomes Homer, but he just loves excellent gameplay. He loves and all so quarterbacks gets,
0: as well. Come on, he loves them all, man. Yeah. <laughs> he he gets. That really is a guy high <laughs> that can take the ball out and throw yeah, it's weak a side pass. Love love like, that style, dude. That's
1: <laughs> some play. Like he says, yeah. like that's some quarterback. That's some play. But what I love about him is the same reason I like Semler, where like his love of the game is really infectious. And he just he just, oh, he just appreciates he, he appreciates greatness and he gets really excited. And I think he's excellent at breaking down plays as well. So I do like Chris Collinsworth a lot. I know some people don't like him because they, they feel like he goes he's too superlative with the praise at times. Um, but he's my favorite NFL color caster. And I'm, I'm actually sad that he's no longer paired with with Al Michaels.
0: Oh, I forgot because I was only thinking of play-by-plays then. That, my favourite colour commentator is mad edgy. People hate this guy because they're all stupid nephews who have to dismiss the past in order to make their own ego feel fine. I think QB Brown, a really legendary basketball figure, and used to even be a coach, is like he is like the Yoda of fucking basketball. He just knows everything. He has like an amazing read. He's watched every era of the game. I think that guy was fucking amazing when he was a colour commentator.
1: If Monty's child became a League of Legends player for TSM, and Thorin's child became a CSGO player for Astralis, how would you guys react? Assume that Reggie and Nikolai Nyholm are still at their respective orgs. Would this be a Return of the Jedi situation where Luke redeems Vader's, but the roles are reversed? Or a Force Awakens situation where Han, Han rather is unable to redeem Kylo
0: Ren? Have you noticed, Monty, this has been a classic take for 10 years now. Do you remember the take when Flame was coming to LCS? When they go, imagine if he joins TSM. It's like, why would I hate that? (laughs) <laughs> like, what? like what? You do realize I don't like these people because they're bad human beings. They're shitheads and arseholes. I don't just dislike them like you do because you just hate fans of the other guy. You're you're thinking this is on a totally different level. Like, spoiler, I wouldn't allow my child, if he had to take my advice, to join Astralis. I would tell them they're a fucking abusive and exploitative organization who have done these documented bad things. This isn't, by the way, this is also why I hate questions like this. You think that's funny. How about this? What about if your worst enemy fucked your mother's face tonight how would you feel about that would you get upset get upset performatively for me now so i can see you get upset and then go he's triggered what's the point in that question what is the point in the question for real it's a shit question there you go uh
1: you know i think there are certain advantages though like knowing what i knowing what i know about reggie and tsm i'm pretty confident that i could Stop the things from happening that were happening. Also, there is something sweet about uh, there is some sweet revenge in taking these people's money or having your family take these people's money. I mean, I think I could negotiate very effectively with TSM on behalf of my child as a result of knowing what I know. And I could set certain guide guide like rails within the contract about treatment that could solve a lot of the issues. So. I'll
0: also just say this. I think that just shows what a fucked perception you have of family. Like, I'll tell you right now, there's a story you might not know, Monty, and no one else ever mentions this detail. They just act like this player is crazy and an idiot. So I don't know if you know this, but Scotty Pippen, believe it or not, the last year or so, came out in a bunch of interviews and was really rude about Michael Jordan and said he's a terrible yep. teammate, he's overrated, like I was better than him, and he's a piece of shit. Do you know what they don't ever mention as a detail that might make that suddenly seem more reasonable? Right. Apparently, Michael Jordan's son is fucking Scottie Pippen's former wife and the mother of his children. They don't yeah, even bother to mention pretty, that because they think it's a, it just <laughs> understand understandable basketball. Here's my problem with that. Scottie Pippen is from the old school of sports, where what you do in the locker room stays in the locker room. And in that scenario, in Scottie Pippen's mind, I'll speculate. But this is what I believe as well. Michael Jordan, when he even hears that's happening, is supposed to go bro. Look, first of all, that's just silly anyway. She's way older than you. This isn't something that can have like longevity, and it can't really go anywhere. And secondly, that's like a that's like a that's a brother, a man. That's a teammate, a man. Like pick anyone else in the world, mate, but not like the ten, not the fifteen wives of the teammates I had or something. You know, like essentially. T- why are you doing that? Like, are you just doing it to be to be edgy, to be an arsehole? Like, that's, that's the angle I have on that one. So basically, in that scenario, my kid wouldn't do that, mate. I wouldn't have fucking neglected him for a million years and just given him Nintendo every Christmas. So he actually would listen to what I have to say and I'd just guide him in life, wouldn't
1: I? <laughs> Is it better for you guys to split content to different channels rather than putting it on one? Uh, yes. Cause like, if you want counter-strike content, you can go to our counter-strike channel and subscribe to that one. And if you want league channel content, you go to the league channel and subscribe to that one. So, and you can subscribe to neither or both of them or whichever one you prefer. And we're not spamming you with a bunch of shit from games that you guys don't care about or content that you guys don't care about. Um, I think it would be. And also, we frankly, at this point in time, just have too much content coming out. The YouTube algorithm would be very angry if we were to post like three three hour videos on the same day. That's just a bad plan.
0: If I could go back in time, I wouldn't have done my channel the way I did it because it meant that inherently with the way the algorithm became the main thing, not the subscriptions box, everyone who only likes League never clicks on the CSGO video. So that tells them, oh, it's not really a user that cares about your shit. Stop showing them videos. Everyone who yep. only cares about CSGO doesn't want to see all this League shit. So I did it at the time because that was a very different era when people went in the subs box. And so I was just getting all the viewership and all the subs and spoiler, there's a reason I've never been allowed to get more subs for about six years now. There's another thing, they lock the account. So if I could go back, I would have made separate channels for each of the big games, and I'm pretty sure it would make them way more successful. It's why, in some ways, the way I've done that is do this company and give some of the content to this company, so it sort of, in the end, worked itself out, and I mainly just use my channel now just to get my own thoughts out, literally and metaphorically.
1: Uh, yep. So, what guest slash topics do you think have historically made the most rewatchable episodes of
0: SI? Anyone who's a cerebral player, basically. Like, yep. people like N-Rated, Oh, Dom. Dom's a pretty good one. LS has got some classic episodes. Even Loco would often come with his own yep. unique angles or some info he had from the Korean scene. A lot of, by the way, I this is one of the things I had to teach Dom, but he learned it eventually, mate. When we used to do the crackdown, I can tell you, he only wanted the biggest name players that we could get all the time. Now, luckily, I'm a really good showbooker, so I got him perks and caps and yankos and all these fucking mega people. But what he had to learn eventually is, one – they can't be available every week and sometimes they're really hard to book. So sometimes you ended up with some guy who's ADC who's played three splits in LCS, a top player who's been subbed in, who's just having a couple of good games, and that player might end up being shit. So what I had to teach him was, the reason you have personalities and coaches on, even if the viewership sometimes is lower, it's because the convo is going to be way better. They're able to yep. engage on a level that the others can't. And when they watch other regions, they can just be like you, another analyst watching the LCK and tell you what they think of that. By the way, there you go. I've just thought of one there, Peter Don. Fucking banger every time. Yep. Sadly, actually, Bwipo was a good guest before he decided to sell Chex Notes, me and everyone gain career out to T1 fans. So he can't come on these shows anymore. Get fucked.
1: <laughs> oh, by the uh, way, you can go
0: through all the classics. Uh, if you could understand her, Kelsey was super insightful. Yep. Even though it's edgy now, for scoring was fucking exciting to yep. have on the show. You never knew where it was going to go. Yeah, there's some Papa Smithy, always, always good conversations about the meta. And also, he just does that thing where he 24-7 plays devil advocate for every fucking person in the org, because he's in the org now. But whatever, he does a good job. At it. He does good defense.
1: What's the best eSports catchphrase, such as Richard's, what about today, dickhead? <laughs> That's pretty uh, good.
0: What is the best catchphrase? I mean, obviously, Anders is pretty good. Like, are you kidding me? It's a pretty classic one because essentially any, any outrageously super skilled woman that is what you think. Like, what the fuck? That's a pretty good one, I think. I don't know.
1: None, none are popping up right now that I can really
0: I do not really believe that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh Where are the list of the Lots of people asking about merch. Where in the list of things to do is Elephant's merch? Love
0: Right now. <laughs> the well, way, that's why when you guys say know that shit, you guys want it though when you guys say shit like oh if you sign Fallen or double if you'll sell so many t-shirts you are the biggest pleb of all time you are telling on yourself that you know nothing about the industry what you'll actually make is like after all the costs and shipping you'll make like ten thousand dollars but the amount of hours it took just wasn't even worth it like it'll never come close to touching the sides merch is just not a thing at the moment
1: yeah, I actually don't even know. I know some of you guys are really hot for the merch, but I actually have no idea how much we would actually sell. So we'd have to pretty carefully do that. Um, what is your favorite type of a narrator in fiction? For example, omniscient, third person, unreliable first person. I don't really care because it just depends on the rest of the work. So I'm not, it doesn't bother me. It could be anything as long as the relationship between the narrator and the rest of the work of fiction is functional. It depends how good favorite. it is, like you say. Yeah, yeah I don't have a favorite. Uh, like, tobacco way, if people
0: don't know. I'm assuming this is more like it's more like a third person telling you their thoughts. I actually thought the way it was done in the Hyperion books was fucking banging, where you sort of yeah. did get like their perspective, but it was like told still from like an narrator style. I thought I was very well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good one.
1: Uh, tobacco products you like? Cigars, occasional cigarettes, chew, pipe tobacco. Chew is gross. Um, uh, cigarettes when I'm drinking, great. Uh, cigars good. Pipe tobacco actually smells amazing. Um, I think pipe tobacco is the most pleasurable. It just, it, the 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 act of like smoking a pipe is very cathartic. I think, and it both tastes and smells wonderful. Um, I
0: despise tobacco, so no answer for me. <laughs> there you go.
1: Uh, Does League have a super skilled but petty self-destructive redhead? I don't know what that means. Do you know what that means?
0: That's because Nico used to have a haircut where it was like shaved on the side, but on the top. So I called him like breadhead, basically. So they're a player like Nico, basically. Uh, There's worse ones. I mean, they had Forgiven for a start off. Like, this is not a joke. If I could pilot Forgiven's brain, he would have been one of the best League of Legends players of all time. Do you notice how I didn't insert the word Western or European there? He would have been one of the best League of Legends players of all time. He was unbelievably good at the game but he was just a fucking dickhead as a person. And he just had a lot of personality issues due to things in his past, as far as I know.
1: When was Faker's last superstar carry year? Well, I mean, he was first team all pro. We can argue that uh, last split. He was really good in spring, guys. He was really good. It was his best, best year, probably since like 2017. But if we're talking about when was the apex of Faker, probably, you know, 2013 to 2017. Uh, was w- was really when he was just insanely talented and, like, obviously the best. But he really has been doing very well recently.
0: The joke is, if you're like, oh, you're just a fake here. No, no it's the other way around. Why would he still be the best 10 years later, you idiot? It's not hockey, you yeah. know. Like, the esports is way more fleeting with your prime.
1: What's the best team you could construct from players that are hated by some large sections of the community? I actually don't
0: know who they like and who they hate. Well, I here's heard, like, the joke. Like, sadly, I wouldn't put them on the same team now, but believe it or not, Perks and Opset are absurdly hated by Reddit Monty. It's mental. Really? Like their logic for real is that because that the reason Opset's never won is he's just not good enough. So by their logic for real, Flackhead is better. That was a real take last year. The flathead is better than upset. <laughs> then for Perks, they call it, I've, I made this point on the last best time league shows. So I've only made it once. You might appreciate it. Actually what they do with Perks is this. The people who hate him on Reddit never knew his game. Like the Chovy haters, you know, when the Chovy haters all come out and the player they describe was never Chovy. It's like, Bro, he was always the lane focused guy. He was always the guy about CS. He was always the guy that do the side Like he was never the guy where it was like, I solo kill you and then go and have the most insane team fights ever. Like he was good at some of those things, but that was not ever his game. So in the same way, they talk about perks for real as though unless he's a God in lane, he's worthless which is like, you don't know Perks then. I mean, Monty said it earlier. Perks's whole game is sort of like side lane really, really well because he understands map pressure. And then in team fights, do, do pretty well. And then I would say pull off like a clutch flank every now and then and do like a, like, a, like go for that crazy angle when everyone else would just back off. That might win you the game. So there's two, two examples of players. Let me think who else they really hate. They all, by the way, they also hate Alfari, but I guess he's another Vitality player, so it's not so great for now. <laughs> who else do they hate? I mean, I would say in general they hate Larson because, again, like Froggen, they can't see what he's doing. By the way, I think Froggen was fairly hated on. Dude, people for real act like after season two, he was shit. I'll tell you, go back and watch when he was in that Golden Guardians lineup. Mate, it's ridiculous. He was actually, for real, just like one of the best mids in the league still. And he was doing stuff, by the way, that no one else in the world could do, Monty. He would play like Velkoz and just win lane and not get ganked. Good luck trying that in LCS, by the way. You know the mobility of that champion is non-existent, and they also, for real, acted Monty like he was under his tower the whole game. If you ask any pro, the thing about Froggen, they say to this day, if you play him in solo queue, is he's amazing in laying at trading and stopping you from being able to get the CS and always getting more CS, and you can't harass him. Like so, Froggen's won. There's a bunch of players with Forgiven used to be mega hated because he never won; he was on in the semis. I'm trying to think for the other roles, though. I mean, the believe it or not, weirdly hated. It is, I know. <laughs> I think it's just because he's also, like, he is inherently a very cocky guy. But to me, it's like Federer. It's like, mate, you can back it up. You can be cocky if you want. Like, you are fucking unbelievable. Yeah, yeah.
1: I really enjoyed this old by the numbers question. Who in LFN would last the longest in a death match with a bear? (laughs) I don't know. I think we'd all get owned pretty fast.
0: Oh, all of the people in LFN. Let me think. I mean, the joke is dumb because, in theory, people on crack don't like seem to feel pain, and they can just keep going. <laughs> and it's almost like that movie Crank. They just fucking, so he just he'd fucking tear that bear up. There, the joke is right, Semler's, Semler's, a Semler's the bear, biggest one. He not got a ch- Oh, Semler's actually really tall, and also <laughs> literally does Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He so he actually probably could milk the bear like a and Reenick could choke us, but you know, he's also like just a big guy. <laughs> yeah, so. And the joke is, he spent his whole career wrestling for the mic with Anders, so think about it think about the theme there you go there's a freebie for you
1: that's funny Uh, with dota 2 becoming more user-friendly over the years i'm noticing that certain aspects of the game draft diversity formats impactful game updates more kills per minute make for an equally if not more exciting matches Why has it not been able to become a stronger rival to League of Legends? Is it Valve not tackling the Korean market or Lull being released four years sooner? So I I, kind of disagree that it's not a strong rival to Lull. It is in certain areas. Eastern Europe, Dota's fucking huge. Like it's way bigger in Russia than, than League of Legends is as far as I can tell. Um, it's, I mean, lol's huge in China, but so is Dota Southeast Asia, obviously like Indonesia, Singapore, these countries are huge for Dota. So I would say maybe it's just, it, it depends market for market. Um, it's also just a harder game than league of legends. And so I think it's less attractive to casual, a casual user base.
0: I will just say as someone who's watched it for a long time because I don't play the game even I have trouble with some of the things they're doing and what's brilliant about it Like that's why I rely on I have no idea what's going on so one of the problems that game has it's a brilliant feature is in Dota there's way less of a set meta and there's way less of like this role has to be this role and people can't switch it up that really is a game where to some degree you can play a hero in your role that's mainly supposed to be for another role if you're good at it it's actually got the ultimate flex capacity in that regard so I, I think essentially that's bad if you want plebs to watch because plebs the reason league is perfect it's all on rails there's five set roles always and then there's, there's a limited champion pool for those roles you watch it a few times you have a basic idea and in the modern day they made it actually kind of fucking they made it fucking Fisher Price League of Legends Monty you go to the dragon you go to the herald you go to the dragon you go to the baron you end the game after a team fight like this isn't even the beautiful game it once was guys they've actually made it so fucking simplistic to me so that's going to appeal to plebs in theory
1: yeah, I, I, the macro definitely has become less exciting as the years have gone on. But the micro has gotten better. That's not what I like most about the game, though. So it's kind of- No, a but of-
0: you imagine the world where they never, ever fucked with lane swaps. And that could have really developed into yeah. like the chess match. That, imagine when the skill level got to this level, Monty. That would be insane, oh, yeah. the things you could do in the drafts. And it would have made the game, it would be like Ellis' dream, basically.
1: Yeah, it would have been really fun for sure. Uh, if you were in charge of creating an esports time capsule, what would you put inside and why? I suppose it depends when we made the time capsule.
0: I mean, you could sort of say, I have created an esports time capsule <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. With on YouTube. There's like something like 3,000 <laughs> videos on there, so no biggie, you know. So let me know in <laughs> second. And then basically, I've always said this. It's it's an egotistical thing to say, but it's just a data illustrator point, Monty. Here's what you do, right? Take the top 500 pieces of content by your favorite creator. If they don't have 500, they're immediately disqualified. If they have 500, spoiler, they <laughs> only have 500. Now take that and compare it to the best 500 of mine, right? And even if you prefer them and you think they win, right, give them one, they get a one zero for the first 500. Now do the next 500. If they don't have any, then I win that one automatically. At the end, I win about 10-1. So it could have like, they go, So I think you can watch my channel. You can go back. You can see me talking 2014 and 2015 about fucking what I think about double lift and soars and all that shit. So in terms of a real answer, if you could actually put something in there, I mean, in the modern day, you'd probably do something like like an NFT. You'd put something digital in, wouldn't you? You'd put in like the fucking faker, Z versus Z, the moves, clip or something. You know, you put in Flash, Win the Golden Mouse or something. You put in like the iconic moments, surely. Yep. The Daigo fucking parry into mega combo. You put in all the classic moments, I'm pretty sure, wouldn't you?
1: Yeah. I think that's, that's basically all, all, that you would do. And then, I mean, also archive, like the most important games, right. Which we don't even have good archives of right now, sadly, because <laughs> the developers just don't give a shit about preserving a lot of the history of their own games, unfortunately.
0: And also I'd put in a note scribbled so they could tell there was sort of like an urgency behind it. And it would just say to the, to whoever finds this capsule if Riot Games is still active, stop them. Only you can stop them now. And that's so all. Like, so like it's like like the last letter wasn't fully written, and it's just like a bit of part on the page. I just that's the only chance we've got. That's all I'm saying. Uh,
1: what would your dream matchup be for the World Qualifying Series? The fourth seed LCS versus the fourth seed LEC for the world spot. Okay, I want heretics in that spot.
0: It would be fun. I know. I think it'd be be fun.
1: (laughs) I think I think heretics of that spot from LEC would be fun. Uh LCS for my own amusement. Ooh, who would I want for my own amusement? Team Liquid or 100 Thieves, probably, just for my own entertainment. I think heretics versus 100 Thieves would be pretty funny. Yeah. It wouldn't be good League of Legends, guys, but it would be entertaining. How do you evaluate LOL? One, good player on a bad team. Two, bad player on a good team. Feels like the team nature of the game makes things very results-oriented. Unless the player is exceptional to the point, it doesn't matter. So basically, it's just about how... the, The real question here is how much effect can one player have on a game of League of Legends? And we've talked about this before. Riot has intentionally lowered that barrier. Like it's not the same as it was in season three and season four, especially in mid lane where you could get you know death fire grasp and have an insane advantage, or you could snowball vision with through jungle and support to such a ridiculous degree that you would have really huge levels of disparity and dominance by players. They have essentially like the existence of faker caused them to dial back individual carryability of the game that that's what happened. Baker was too good. Uh, so he was warping the the entire scene too much. So they added, you know, more sources of passive gold income for support players, et cetera, et cetera, and tried to balance out the roles a little bit more um, and took away a lot of crazy snowball items. So I do think it's possible to be a good player on a bad team, but you're still not going to have that big of an effect on the actual win-loss outcome because so much of it is based on team fighting right now. So much of the game is based on good team fighting. I think it's tough.
0: The problem is, the obvious answer is the one you don't want to hear. It's just have a really good eye test. Yeah. So it's the reason why I double down on people like upset a million times. I can just watch them play and go, it's fucking amazing. The problem with that is I understand the less you know about the game, the more you are relying on stats and seeing the stat- the score line and hearing what the casters say. So I would I would just actually say I'll give you the cheat. The obvious cheat is just pick a really good analyst, LS, Job, something like that, Monty, and then listen to what they say. They'll they'll give you the the angles, and usually these people will tell you their bias. Isn't that what we're here for? To be biased (laughs) and give you the insight.
1: Fair enough. How do you overcome plateaus when trying to improve in a particular field? I've been attempting to climb the solo queue ladder in CS, but keep hitting a ceiling and falling back down. I think you have to be very deliberate and critical. So unfortunately, the way to improve on things is usually just unpleasant, getting your hands dirty and reviewing the material. It's objectively more fun to play another game of LoL and CS than it is to watch a VOD of your own play and be highly critical of your mistakes. But that is actually how you are going to fix a lot of your problems. Do you want to take notes? Uh, After every game, about all the things that you did wrong to reinforce them in your memory and improve? Uh, Do you want to go watch films of other good players or uh, other people who are good in your field and figure out how you can emulate them or things you can take away? It's just a lot of grinding on the least fun parts. That's how you get better.
0: I'll just give two very simple pieces of advice. One, actually do, especially if it's a game that goes badly, do watch it back. If, you, if there's some mm-hmm. way you can record it, watch it. Because here's the thing, you're going to cringe and you're going to say all oh, that excuse and cope. Like, no, but I wouldn't have done it. But it's just because, don't say any of that. You're the only one there. There's no one to give an excuse to. Understand, brutally, yes, I fucked these things up, but don't feel bad about it. Just know right now I know some of the mistakes I'm making. Like Basically, look for big macro tendencies. Not like the ma- the micro. Look at things like, oh, I actually tend to get a bit too high for you in lane and push it a bit early. Or, oh, I go for kills that are just like 50 50 when I maybe had like the scaling pick or whatever. Then this is the other thing, only try and work on one small thing at a time. Because that way, you can keep that in the back of your mind. And if you're a jungler, for example, you can play a small vision. Or if you're a fucking support player, you can learn to just look at the minimap a little bit more. That's It's the same concept as working in the gym. The reason people don't go to the gym is because they want to go to the gym for three weeks, lose what took them two years to put on in weight, and be jacked with abs after three weeks. That's impossible. So as a result, what you have to do in the gym, the term is progressive overload. You start light, and then you, you make sure you do that. It's going to be hard even then. Then you progressively overload. After a week or two, you put a bit more on. You keep going. As it goes, you will adapt to it and you will meet the resistance level. It's the same concept with improving in games. But as I say, because this is a concept I took out of that book, The Inner Game of Tennis, don't try and do 50 things at once. That will just fuck you completely. Just apply one little thing at a time and then over time, you'll just gradually improve.
1: Can you explain what happened with Easy Hoon slash Faker to someone who wasn't there?
0: Yes, we can. I mean, one, Azir. Two, they actually (laughs) did have a cracked out team, so they could. There even was some of that final boss shit where they were like, right, we'll see if we actually need to bring in Faker because Easy Hoon could beat you. There even was some of that shit going on. And they were at the time, if you remember, they were also fucking around with the junglers. I don't think that helped either. It was a lot of weird shenanigans back then.
1: The funny thing about... The The easy thing is people will look at Faker and say, if you watched Faker later, you would say, Azir, first, if it's one of his most played, if not his most played champion of all time, I can actually just look at that real quick. I think it might be his most played champion of all time now. Um, let me just look. Yes, it is. It and it's by a lot, too. It's 134 games, and his next one is Rise at 67. And he has a 68.7% win rate on Azir. So you might say, like, holy shit, Faker's probably extremely good at Azir. He was really bad at Azir when he started out. Easy Hoon was a much better Azir player. So that was a big part of it. And as you say, it was also the it was also kind of the metagame that was developing at that time. And also, you have to remember that there was a big exodus of Korean talent at that time where a lot of the other best mid laners were no longer within the scene. So it was easier to have a less good mid laner. But Faker was slumping a little bit during that period he came back he bounced back and was exceptional again but easy hoon had a different skill set too so maybe there was some stuff going on inside the team as well i don't know and
0: fit and korma was ruining esports history shout out that's one and Koma was ruining moments, e-sports yeah, history. all
1: right uh guys I we're, we've been face. doing questions for a long time there are some more questions left but i'm going to call I it after the next, next one. one yeah and then we're gonna do one more and then uh we will end. Monty, do you agree that the reason Mercury and Monte Cristo, I think they're supposed to say Mercedes, I'm going to guess it's Mercedes, and Monte Cristo should end up together is because the power of love and good always triumphs over bad. And it says Haley is too young. I think it means Heyday Day is too young. I'm assuming that these are the characters you're talking about. Love makes all the difference. We want a happy ending for him. No, that's not the point. That's not the point. I mean, do you, this is why it's so outrageous that they have Mercedes getting back together at the end of these books. So first off, they were much, much younger when they were supposed to get married at the start of the series. She went and married his rival after he was put in prison. Like, no, he shouldn't be with her anymore. Like, she showed some pretty shitty judgment in this situation. And you really want him to get back together with a woman who married the guy who imprisoned him? Like, the The point is that they needed to move on, like both of them needed to move on at that point in time. And if anything, D- Edmund Dantes should have found somebody he should have just fucked off and found somebody who would make him happy with all of his riches and his good fortune after he broke out of prison. It wasn't about going back in time. The whole mistake that the Count of Monte Cristo makes is that he's trying to right the wrongs of the past, and ultimately it doesn't provide any joy for him, and he realizes it was a mistake. Imagine having all of the resources in the world and then using, being hell-bent on trying to get this revenge or reliving the past when you could do literally anything else with your existence, right? That's the point. And that's why it's so disappointing when films have him get back together with Mercedes, because it doesn't show the, the growth as a human being that he should have had. And that's the entire theme of the book is that he is not actively growing, that he is stuck.
0: And that's the breakthrough he makes at the end. To me, the whole point of life and the journey of romance that I've experienced, and from my reading of fiction and stuff, is that there is no one. It's actually, it depends on your capacity to make someone your one, if you know what I mean. So to me, in that scenario, I agree with you, Monty. They actually didn't even have that. The the silly part about that story, if they ever wanted it to have a happy ending is, they should have had like... 10 years of marriage and then he gets she gets taken from him. It's like some Odysseus <laughs> shit. Then you could do it. But in that scenario, it's like the equivalent of like so you t- high school rival stealing your girl. Yeah. And then you go through a 30-year yeah. thing where you become godlike and you waste your time like Spider-Man coming back to that. Yeah. girl. like what are you yeah. doing, bro? Just go out <laughs> into the world, get some better. Re-
1: re- remember, remember that he was just a sailor on a ship. He wasn't a captain, he was really young. And Mercedes was not n- not shit talking, Mercedes, but like you know, maybe you would have more opportunities at this point in time there at Dantes. Maybe you'd have a larger pool of people to perhaps have meaningful romantic relationships with now that you've both grown up and matured, but also have unimaginable wealth. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure what this This is part of the same question. So this will be the last one. I don't know what this means. Thorin, what if the Dune series exists in the world of Dune? I don't know what that's supposed to mean.
0: I, think, so, I, I actually genuinely think for real, he meant to say like a different thing at the end, instead of doing right. and I'm fucked up. Dune. But the problem is because he doesn't it put be. it, we can't guess. So I assume he probably was going to say some other fantasy world, which is probably really interesting. Right. But I can't answer well, yeah. that. Can I?
1: I mean, I did like the first question, even though I had to, I think you got auto corrected by your phone for, for this.
0: Here's what I'll say. Um, Here's what I'll say. I would just say this. Basically, I actually do think the sleeper that will awaken from me answering this, because I said it on this other sh- show as well, but no one ever knows this, is the sci-fi channel in the early 2000s did not only Dune, but they then did it where it also went into Dune Messiah, and then they did Children of Dune as well. They did a, th- a series, I think it's three parts in each, and it even has famous movie actors in and everything, James McAvoy's in it, et cetera. It's actually good. Now, look, they sat the graphics aren't good, but if you give a shit about the graphics, I don't know what you hear for me. It's actually quite true to the themes and the sort of atmosphere of the novel. It's quite good. I would say go watch that if you're a fan of Dune. And you've you've seen the other ones, you've seen the Feel Nerve one, you've seen the Lynch one. This is it, this is like an interesting take on it. I thought it was pretty cool. It was quite just watch it basically. There you go. That, that's the part right. I thought.
1: I am gonna ask one more question because I'm curious about this as well. Uh, after not following basketball for a long time, I tuned into the finals this year. What do you think of Denver's run? Why are people underestimating Jokic? His numbers are very good, and his passing and shooting look amazing for a center. Again, I'm not a basketball fan, so yeah. I, I mean, I I casually watched the NBA and I finals and I enjoyed it. Obviously, I'm from Colorado, so it was fun for me. To see them finally win a title, even though I've never been a Nuggets fan. And I watched the Jokic highlights, and I think his passing, what what amazes me about him is just his spatial awareness. Like he has like a 3D map of the court in his head, and he just knows where everybody is at all times and makes those insane passes. But I'm very casual, so I'm more interested in hearing your, your take on this, Lauren.
0: I mean the thing is I think it's underrated but I also think sadly like everyone underrated the fans of Jokic are going too far the other way and making him sound like the fucking goat already so the real problems you have is this I actually thought the best series they played was the Suns series where even the other star players like Booker were going ham and Durant was there that was pretty good like that was some good basketball the problem is the Lakers conference final the Lakers should never even have been there they just had a couple of players like overperform and they got a bit fluky and unfortunately LeBron played fairly shit Anthony Davis was like 50-50. It just wasn't a very good match, basically. And they got eaten up. And then in the finals, the Heat essentially did that thing where too many people were injured. They were relying on the Jimmy Butler guy to have epic clutch games, but he's not like a top five player in the league or anything. So the problem is it was one of those ones you get sometimes where like, props to the Heat for making it there, but that should have been the Celtics. If that had been the Celtics against the Nuggets, that would be an all-time banger series that could have been really epic. They're both deep teams really good styles. And also, in the finals... I. I actually, if I wanted, could go and get this fucking DM because I sent it to Lagia, who also doesn't follow the NBA much, but he's a big fan of Jokic because he's Serbian. And he basically said to me, before the finals, who's going to win the finals then if the Nuggets play the Heat? And I told him, well, first of all, the Nuggets have a home court advantage and they're the better team. And the big problem you have is this. The Jimmy Butler guy can't win four out of seven games for you and the Heat's whole thing is defense, but the problem is the Nuggets are just going to blow them off the floor. And if you just go and look, the Heat could never score to even the capacity of the amount of points that the Nuggets gave up in the regular season to their opponents and they were still winning. So to me, it was too easy for the Nuggets in the finals, the problem. So the finals looked a bit shit and the game did look too easy for Djokic. So I think that's the reason why people underrate it. And then also... I mean, he's just not American, is he? So some fans are just hating on him because he's European or whatever. I thought Jokic was mega. I thought it was an all right run. It was like an above average one, but it wasn't like one of the most memorable runs of all time. Like I said, they didn't really have that. Like there wasn't really like a murderous row of teams you play against. Like some of the great teams of all time, if you go back in time, the Celtics and the Lakers, some of those runs they went on, like they would be beating the guy who'd won the championship the last year in the in the conference final. And then the final, they might play the other rival that's won the ring before. That's what makes the epic eras. You know, you want to have people who are like truly great teams. So as I say, I actually think the Celtics in the final would have been more of an epic, epic final to go out on. Just was a bit, yeah. just ran out of steam in the finals, basically. So,
1: Yeah. It's weird. Cause I read a lot of NBA journalism. Cause I'm in, I like the sports writing surrounding the NBA and I like the way that people do written analysis and, and kind of follow the stories more than I actually like watching the games. I know that sounds strange. Um, but oh, that was a a common take I've seen from sports writers has been that this the the Nuggets run was not it, like you're saying it was a little fluky because of the results that happened, and that really it's going to be about them being able to challenge for future titles. That's going to define what this win meant and how like how good Jokic can be. And if this is a core that can create some sort of dynastic run, like the last warriors run. So
0: like to me, there weren't a lot of truly great teams in this regular season. I thought there was a lot of teams also had injuries and a lot of that shit happened basically. So it was just an unlucky season in general, in my opinion, they were the best team, but it was an unlucky season.
1: Fair enough. All right. Well, guys, uh, you can retype your questions. We got through almost all of them, but we're at three and a half hours, so we're going to call it for this one. Nice long question period, catching up on some of them. Uh, We will see you guys for more summoning Insight next week.